Hello, Haddonfield. Evil rides tonight. I want a cool ride to see. Oh, oh, L. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Thrills and Chills. I'm Lacey Lou. And I'm Dan Chase. And tonight we brought back the big guns who uh, podcasted with us last year on Halloween Kills. So we had to bring him back to see how this fucking franchise ends. The OG himself, Mr. Craig Edwards. What's up, Craig? Haddonfield, W-U-R-G, if you've got the urge, I've got the music. It's Rockin' Craig Edwards, and we're going to play the hits until dawn. Wow. Oh, that was a really good radio voice. So much better than mine. It was. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're fired, Dan. Craig, you want to be my new co-host? <laughs> Did you do radio before? Right? You know, I have not, but I... I, I you know, to toot my own horn a tiny bit, I have made several requests to radio stations, and they always go... Are, are you in the business? I'm like, no, I'm not. I never, I never have. I thought about it, but I've just never done it. Well, oh, you, you should. You did do the film. Um, God, why can't I not think of the name right as an out? The record, Empire Records. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> did we talk about that last year? I can't remember. Just touched on it. We did more Dawson's Creaking, I think. More yeah, Dawson's we did a lot of Dawson's Creaking on that one. Yes, we definitely did. Well, let's talk about Empire Records real quick. How awesome is it to have like one of the best lines of the movie? Though? Well, and not only that, <laughs> uh, he actually was in that movie with the cool writer himself. Oh, so I thought that would be fun to talk about. Rick Manning. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was a, a a wild thing. We we had done the entire film. We had been um, out on location and done all the exteriors, and we had moved back to the studio to kind of wrap things up. And people had left, uh, cast had wrapped out and had left. And in fact, um, Maxwell Caulfield, who played Rex Manning, had left by this point. Oh, I called him and, Rex, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. And they brought um, a pile of extras in to shoot some new shots of the autograph line, just some some standard like B-roll shots. Yeah. And I heard him say, let's gear up the extras and shoot the autograph stuff over the radio. And I don't know, I just got a wild hair. This is the very, very last day of shooting. So I ran to wardrobe and said, thinking about seeing if they'll put me in the autograph line, you got anything I could wear? <laughs> yes. And they come up with this outfit. And as I'm putting it on behind the curtain, they go, um, that actually was going to be one of Rex Manning's outfits. It was one of the choices, but it was a little Ooh. big on him. So that's why he ended up in the purple lame instead of the this thing, this blue flowing pirate shirt or whatever. You want to call it. <laughs> so I'm actually wearing, you know, an outfit that, that Max had on at some point briefly. That's awesome. And I mean, it went down. They, they gave me black jeans. I mean, wardrobe's amazing because they can produce anything, but they gave me black jeans and then they handed me these blue and black two-tone blue suede shoes, which yes. don't show up on camera, but I'm wearing them. In the <laughs> so I put all this on and I run to hair and makeup and I go, you know, can you, Anything you want to do to me to enhance this. So uh, hair, makeup said, no, you're fine as is. But hair said, yeah, let's do something. So they grabbed me and they they air uh, sprayed hairspray up and got it to go up as much as it would. But I had shaved my head that summer, so it was pretty short. But they did it as much up as they could. And then they gave me gold streaks and tips to really <laughs> give it some like highlights <laughs> so then i go to the director and basically go you know ta-da would you like me in the autograph line and he said oh yes yes <laughs> I did." so they put me in the autograph line i'm midway up and um 
I see the camera is going to come up the line of people and go past us. And I turned to the girl in front of me who's got a purse. And I said, you don't by any chance have a makeup compact, do you? And she said, oh, I do. I said, we do this bit of business when we know the camera is going to be on us. So I told her to be looking in the mirror like she's checking her makeup. And then as the cameras come by, I nudge her and get her to hold the mirror out for me. And I'm checking my hair. Yes. So that was, you know, I knew that would catch everybody's eye. Right. And then um, we shot that shot and I thought we were done. And um, Alan Moyle said, all right, camera, line up on Craig. It's his shot. <gasps> like, okay. Yes. So, so he said, um, you know, this first one, I want you to, uh, I want you to be just surprised by Rex's appearance. So it wasn't, it was kind of a small reaction. And we did that. And then he said, okay, now this time you're cooler than he is. So when he comes out, match him, whatever. And he's going to kiss his ring to the audience. So match him. So I did this big silly thing, something I think I did the uh, Isaac, the bartender, two finger guns at him or something. I did some big thing. And he said, well, that was okay. But you know what? On this third, I just go wild, do whatever you want. Yes. And that's the one. That's where I drop the album and completely just flutter that he's kissed his ring at the audience and he's there. And that's the scene that's actually in the film. That's the show. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And the first time I saw that, before I had met you or anything, Craig, that was my favorite part of the movie. I just, I literally burst out loud laughing, you know? And it's funny, you know, this over the past weekend, uh, Last weekend, we we did a 48-hour film festival, right? Now, I've never shot anything in my life. Lacey Wu has, for sure. Uh, not me, but we before uh, we went to go get our props, which needed to be included into this uh, festival, and they were pumpkins. So we found the biggest pumpkins we could. We went to this pumpkin patch, and it really was something special there. Uh, it, it looked... It looked amazing. And without even saying anything, we just started shooting like like scenes for the movie, like just improv You know what I mean? And uh, the reason I bring that up is because I love that about you. Like you're a very humble person, but at the same time, like, you know, you're fucking awesome. You're the boss. So you I love how you took the initiative and you were like, no, hey, what do you got for me? Like, what, what can we do here? I just love that about you because, again, you're humble. But you know what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that very much. Yeah, it. Um, sometimes you gotta you gotta turn it on. You, you yeah. gotta you know turn off the self deprecating and have a moment, and hope that it you know pays off the way that you hope that it does. Yeah. Um, two things about that. Um, my the studio teacher who was handling the kids, which was only um, uh, Brendan Sexton, who was playing. Warren Beatty and Liv, because Liv was still not yet 18. So they both had to go to school. Right. But the studio teacher was dating the music supervisor or somebody in the editorial staff. I don't even really know how they met. But she was out there, out in LA, LA after post-production. Mm -hmm. And she sent me a letter and said, um, they love you so much, but there is a giant continuity error because you're not in the immediately previous shot. Of the and there's they have to use it the way it is, so it cuts from a shot of the line that you're plainly not in if you really look to yeah. you having this reaction or something like that. And so I was on tenterhooks from that moment. I didn't get any other word from her, nothing until I saw the film, which 
never played in theaters in Wilmington. I had to rent it on VHS when it hit Blockbuster, whatever no. day that was, months later. So, yeah, so that was when I finally knew I was in it. And then they double surprised me by adding, they gave me a cast credit, which for a non-speaking role is wow. great. But they did. I'm an <laughs> Rex Manning fan near the bottom of the cast list. So that was uh, two great surprises. And then the last piece of that is that uh, Max, of course, had rapped, as I said. So he had no idea when he kissed that ring weeks before that what was going to pay off in the film was that this guy that had been telling him to go to hair, makeup and wardrobe for months was going to be the guy reacting to him kissing his ring. So I hope he got a charge out of it when he saw it. So. Do you wish you had known his reaction? Well, I would love to. Yeah, absolutely. We have had brief interactions on social media, oh. uh, but nothing. I have not had an opportunity to like ask him you know, that story. I, I hope there is a story. I hope he, you know, almost produced my reaction back in a way. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> what an awesome story. What an awesome life you lead. <laughs> Honestly. Well, yeah, that was that was a fun shoot. It absolutely was. Uh, it was crazy. Um, you know, we were at the studio for most of the shoot, really. And then we went out for two or three weeks and did the exteriors all downtown. We took over an entire block of Wilmington downtown mm -hmm. every night for like two or three weeks. And we owned it. I mean, we we closed it off. You had, you had to divert around. There were, you know, saw horses up and everything. And so we owned the, you could walk around freely and everything. Base camp was a couple of blocks away. Uh, so that was a bit of a jaunt. And, you know, I lost two of the underage actors, went into, uh, underage for drinking anyway, went into uh, the local gay bar and were getting served. And I lost <laughs> them and had to go find them, things like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a hell of a shoot. Did, did you get to keep your wardrobe? I did, actually. Yeah, I still have it. And in 2020 or 2021, one, one of those two, uh, Rex Manning Day, April 8th, I was the special <laughs> guest at a screening of the movie at the exterior record store location, although we screened yes. it inside. And I wore the outfit. I, um, I even shaved off my goatee and took my contacts out and put glasses on. I, I tried to match myself as close as I could to my appearance in the film wearing the outfit right down to the shoes so wow that's amazing that like did amazing. you sign autographs i did actually it was really <laughs> wild the the event host asked me before the show like you know weeks or months before he said what are you going to charge for your autograph and i said no i i couldn't Aww. possibly charge for my autograph so you know totally free but yes many people asked i have signed several dvd and blu-ray uh covers and some other probably a couple of cds soundtracks you know things like that so people did bring some memorabilia and i was honored to be you know yeah. asked to sign it, so that's amazing that is great would you say that's your biggest role that you've done um yeah certainly the highest profile i've i did a i appeared on matlock as an extra several times and oh wow uh that was well that was so easy because they always needed warm bodies for courtroom scenes they always right. to fill up. i'm jealous and so you could, you know, if I had family coming in or anybody was coming to visit and they were like, we'd like to see what you do. Like, well, here's the easiest way. We'll go be an extra on Matlock. You can sit and watch, you know, Andy Griffith run around for the day. So, yeah, probably did half a dozen or more of those. But um, speaking roles, I did one on American Gothic, which was a CBS series in 1995. Um, they threw me a bone. The producer's assistant handed out a thing of cast lists and asked me to distribute them out to everybody the cast and and make a pair of wardrobe 
And she said, be sure to take a look at it. And I didn't know what that meant. And I had been doing cast read-throughs for uh, the cast would get the next script and over a lunch, they would sit and read it. And they, of course they would read all their roles. Well, they couldn't bring all the day player actors in from various parts of the Southeast for this read-through. So I basically handled everything that wasn't one of the regulars and these read-throughs. Uh-huh. And from that, the producers decided to throw me a bone. So when I checked that cast list for the next episode to shoot, I was listed on it as a radio <laughs> technician. That's so I had been given this role. So that one was fun. Um, I got to I got to actually ADR, um, even though I didn't mess up anything. The, the shot came in on the back of my head and they decided they needed a clarifying line. So I got paid an extra half day's pay to go to a recording studio, walked away from work, got driven by transportation over to this studio to add this line where uh, I'm the radio guy, like the engineer, and I asked the on-air host as we're about to go on the air, I say, uh, 10 seconds to air, he's not here, do we go without him? And that's all in the back of my head as the camera's coming around me, <laughs> and it worked out perfectly, and it, and it does help the episode to kind of clarify that the husband character of this husband and wife team is not there right at the moment. So that was fun, and getting all that money, I, I got two days work out of it which was huge amounts of money and then an extra half a day for another hour so i i mean i made out like a bandit on that thing and it still pays residuals and that was 95 or 96 for american gothic for american gothic yeah and then i did a speaking part much the same except no read-throughs or anything but the producers just threw me a bone and gave me a carnival barker role on dawson's creek and that one i got a residual check today for 10 or 11 dollars so you know hey 111 dollars Ten or eleven, yeah. Oh, ten or I thought you said one hundred and eleven. Is it the oh, carnival? I have gotten those, and they're nice, but they don't come very often like that anymore. Is that but, the double date episode? Yeah, with, it's got to uh, be. It with yeah. uh, Dawson and Joey, and he's with the uh, God. I can't remember her name. Mary Beth. Mary Beth. Uh, was, Scott Foley. That's right. Megan Perry played her, and um, Scott Foley and uh, Michelle and James and I. We all shared that scene. Oh, and um, I only so- had the. <laughs> I only had one scripted line and director David Semmel said, Greg, they're paying you to talk. So talk. So I had lived anything else you hear me say in that episode that isn't. So my friend, who's the lucky lady, that was my scripted line. But the thing about the the big cat for the little lady, that was ad libbed. And um, anything else you hear, that was all just me coming up. with. Dawson's debating on who he wants to give it to. Yeah, exactly. Cause he's (laughs) there with Megan Perry but he's already got, you know, the hots for, for Michelle. So, yeah. yeah and he actually oh, stands there. I was there. to say Jen, not Joey. Blah. Weren't they? Yeah, he turns back and forth. I mean, yeah, it's. Yeah. I, I, I can picture it all in my head. Are you wearing a hat? <laughs> no, but they did put a fake mustache on me because I had no facial hair at the time. <laughs> and every time, any time I was going to be on camera, makeup would grab me and run me to the chair. They always wanted to do something to me. So the janitor that I, I'm the janitor at Capeside High, that's an extra part too. Once per season, you'll see me in the background somewhere. I'm sweeping a hallway or something. And every time that he always would take me and put like this Homer Simpson five day, five <laughs> o'clock shadow thing on me. And, I, you know, I go along with it. I don't care. Um, so, yeah. So that guy was always very scruffy. And then the mustache for the carnival barker. Uh, they put a mustache on me for a picture that's in an office it's uh me and gary cole and i'm the mayor like handing him a civic award as the sheriff and that's up on the wall in his office and i'm again in a suit and they put a mustache on me again i think that one was to make me look a little older because i was only 
you know, 25 or whatever I was at the time. So making me look a little more like a mayor by putting facial hair on me. <laughs> well, you know, like how big of a fan we are of Scream. I mean, right? Oh, you're sure. Absolutely. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what was it like to work with a ghost face killer? Uh, Scott Foley, killer in three. You know, Scott, actually, you know, the day that I played the carnival barker, it, it, they took a while as Dawson's often did, they rented out a parking lot at a subsidiary building that was used as a studio by other shows. And they built that carnival was just us. We rented it. They set it, the whole thing up. It was all set up specifically by the production designer to be very good for filming the whole nine yards. And so we got out there to shoot. And as always, things went a little slow. David Semmel um, sometimes would just, just, he would not move forward on things. He, Things took a long time sometimes with David Simple directing, but mm-hmm. the results were always good. So I guess, and he came back for a lot of episodes. So I'm going to say that they didn't care that, the, that there was some <laughs> overtime on those days. But anyway, they were, so they were shooting everything up to, but they brought me in because that was one of the things when you're a lesser light actor, they'll bring you in sometimes because you're getting the, whatever it was, you know, the, the SAG standard for the day for eight hours. And they didn't expect my scene to take eight hours. So they certainly called me in you know, pretty early in the day. So I'm sitting around and I'm nervous as all get out because I'm going out in front of all the people that I work with on a daily basis and I'm going to, you know, be speaking lines. So I'm, I'm fairly nervous. And I think I, I walked by Scott Foley and he said, you look a little down brother. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. And uh, we ended up talking. I went over and sat on the stairs next to him and then something happened. We went into his trailer. He showed me something on the TV, but we were just sitting inside of his trailer and we talked for, I don't know, a couple hours. And he's he's really, truly a great guy. I really yeah. enjoyed that conversation. But but the funny part of that is, is that my the bane of my existence as the guy running first team was an actor who disappeared from where he was expected to be. And here I am in Scott Foley's trailer and not in mine when they came <laughs> to get me. And so I became my own kryptonite because I did that to the guy handling my job for the day. He's scrambling around base camp trying to find me. Why would he check Scott Foley's trailer? Why would Craig Edwards be in Scott Foley's trailer? So we we heard a commotion and opened the door and looked out. And um, sure enough, you know, there's a PA running. And he's like, oh, there you are. And I'm like, oh, do they need me? They need you. Oh, okay, here I come. And I went running to set. So, yeah, I ended up being the very thing I most disliked in in the business. (laughs) <laughs> oh, who cares? You were hanging out with Scott Foley. That's Roman a story Christian. that you got for, for life and a memory that you got, got for life as well. Now, I do want to ask you this, too, because um, obviously this has been a huge year for horror. And like Lacey Wu said, we're obviously huge uh, Scream fans. And on in uh, Scream 5, they're watching an episode of Dawson's Creek. That's sure. good. They're watching the scare. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and here's here's the second part of my Scott Foley story, and it ties in with that episode. So, oh, okay. For that episode, um, and spoilers if you haven't watched Dawson's Creek 25 years later, but um, <laughs> Scott Foley is the voice on the phone that's calling them a la screen. So obvious. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did that. Um, in a lot of cases, on a in a thing like that where there's a call coming in. The script supervisor would handle reading the off-camera lines, and they would just dub the voice in later, whatever it was going to be. And there was talk of Roger Jackson, but it didn't work out for whatever reason. But um, that ended up being Scott Foley really doing it with a vocoder thing. He actually was using some kind of voice-changing box. 
but that was a live phone setup and he was elsewhere like in jen's house we were off the set but still in the sound stage and i'm with him as he's delivering these lines i'm giving him the actions because i can hear it over the radio and stuff and um so i am working with a guy pretending to be a ghost face killer in a dawson's creek episode who then some years later is actually doing that vocoder thing right. with Roger Jackson's voice in an actual screen movie as a real Ghostface killer. So that is kind of boggling now. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, Scream 3 didn't even come out till I mean, that Dawson's Creek, I think that episode aired in, what, 98? Yes, it would have been 98. And the yeah. Scream didn't come out till Scream 3 didn't come out till what, 2000? 2000, yeah. I want to say, yeah. So. Yeah. So a couple years later, and yep. I mean, yeah, and they it wasn't even in post production or pre production or anything at that time. So yep. it, like those that just that two uh, year gap, it feels like a lifetime. Right, it does. Yeah, and and you know, it changed Scream 3's trajectory because of yep. the Columbine massacre. Yep. They were going to be much more around the high school, and violence in the high school was a complete anathema to the studio. So. They had to rewrite it. And that's why it moved, I think, to the studio thing and became much more about the movie studio. That whole thing was a complete, total, you know, rewrite from the original plot. Right. Um, you know, there's never been, unfortunately, uh, as I've said in my review for Scream 4, uh, there's never been a pure Kevin Williamson sequel. Aaron Kruger. Yeah. And, uh, and even Wes Craven, to some extent, you know, has rewritten him. But two changed because the, the killer leaked. It yeah. was O'Connell, which actually I think that change was a change up because to have the boyfriend again in the very next movie, right? I think that right. would have been a mistake, to be Agreed. honest. Yeah. But still, yeah. it's a compromise uh, of the plot. And then three completely changes because of Columbine. And then four, we don't really know, but Kevin leaves and goes back to whatever TV show I think he was doing. And Aaron Kruger comes in, and I think I'm saying that. I think it's the following, right? Was he doing the following at that time? I think that sounds right, yeah. yeah. And Aaron Kruger comes in and does another, you know, pass on that script. And then, of course, Wes makes some changes on set. And then he doesn't write five or right. six. So uh, I would, at some point in my life, you know, I wouldn't have ever been against seeing a pure Kevin Williamson sequel because the first movie is so very good. Right. right. That I would have to think he could, you know, he could turn another one out without interference, so to speak. Right. Well, the following right. um, was actually, I think, based off of what he had written for part three. Oh, is that right? Okay. So it was supposed, um, to, be it was supposed to be Stu in jail. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen the following. Um, mm -hmm. It's about this uh, serial killer and he has a bunch of followers and they're kind of doing his bidding for him throughout while he's in jail yeah and that yeah. was supposed to be the script of scream three it was Brilliant. supposed to be these high school students carrying out what i believe um uh, Stu was like a cult leader so, so he was supposed to survive then. yes yes so <laughs> one of the main things lately too you've seen it in the past couple of years since scream five came out because obviously matthew lillard uh is is under the mask with the flamethrower in five they yeah. included a lot of the cast. You have seen five, right? I have, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, and it really did feel like a, not necessarily a Wes Craven movie, but I, I was very trepidatious about this movie because we got obviously new directors coming in, new blood. It could have went completely off the rails, but it didn't. It was the opposite. They tried to keep 
as much intact with the originals as as possible. Mm -hmm. So, and obviously with the return of Skeet Ulrich as Billy Loomis, it opens the door for, anybody, for Matthew. And for he anybody. says, no, dude, I'm definitely alive. Like he says it in real life. Like I definitely survived that or whatever. And I think- like, I'll go throw a TV on my head right now and show you. Yeah, but I think because of Wes Craven's death now, um, even though the idea with Stu didn't get made, and obviously that was written by Williamson as well, I think that these ideas can almost be honored in a way and continue the legacy and in some way, shape or form continue throughout the series, which I think they're going to do. I say get away from Sydney for, for six for a little bit. And then for the epic conclusion, you could even bring back Stu and Jill for, for, for the finale of a lifetime. And it'll be one of the only series that actually has that consistency in terms of a final girl and the same cast and and all of those kind of things continuing throughout because yeah, no franchises have it i mean yeah obviously the film that we're about to talk about Lori, but i'm talking about the same timeline yeah <laughs> you know the same universe yeah so, that's true well you know one thing though that that puts a little wrench in that but maybe you get around it it yeah. i would find it hard to believe that after Woodsboro has been attacked by however many ghost faces over however many years. Yes. <laughs> that nobody ever voice checked. If if Stumacher is in jail, yep. that nobody said, have we checked to make sure Stu hasn't escaped? <laughs> right. You know, are we sure Stu's not you know, out on parole? Right. I mean, it just seems like, I feel like the franchise or everybody around the franchise is feeling like he's dead. Uh, or he I would have been mentioned at some point, especially with the sister coming in right in the last film. Um, but but I guess you could get around that in some fashion. Um, I think I think you might What's almost have to... shady Craig. They can make <laughs> uh, you'd have to. I think you'd have to almost make it out that um, I don't know that they've taken him to pro. By uh, I don't know. I'm very <laughs> forgiving. I'm very forgiving of Scream. Like no matter what. Yeah. Uh, it took me a. Oh, long I'd love to see him back. Yeah, it, I absolutely would. So. It it took me a really long time to come around on three. I'm not gonna lie, just because it's just different. <laughs> it, it's such a different. It's so totally different. Yeah, um, performance though. It, he's makes he's it, what saves that it. film. Honestly, so I'm not good. kidding. It's because of him as the killer that lose something, found something. something. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, come it's on, so it's so good. I love it. <laughs> um, so it's definitely gone up over the years, but originally back in like 2000, like I hated it. Right. Um. But, but it, it, it's, it, it's one of the like it, it's kind of like it's the black sheep of the franchise like it's the most hated but i think a lot of people actually love it right it, well yeah with that talk of a three that disappointed you maybe we should start talking about halloween ends i couldn't agree more Craig. <laughs> and, you know I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this transition between that because it took a lot of watches for me to come around on uh on screen three and okay. when i watched this final entry in david gordon green's halloween trilogy here um i didn't think there there are enough watches in the universe for me to come around on this um okay. i was so shocked by what we got not only by what the movie is but leading up to it, I want to get into the foresight. Like, this guy had three movies. That is not a normal 
thing, unless you're like James Cameron or something like that. But to give somebody three movies to direct out of anybody in the franchise, he pretty much has like the most leeway to tell his story, you know? Yeah. I think that's what what really bothers me with this entry is because, um, you know, leading up to this, uh, there was a lot of talk about, well, I know some people were disappointed with kills, but this, this, that was only the middle part. This is the end. This is the conclusion. And I know there's a time jump and I know all these things going into it, but man, I did not expect what we got. So my first watch was my jaw was literally on the floor the entire time. Um, I will say that it came up a little bit on second watch, but man, I I feel like we have so many things to talk about with this movie and this franchise and this and this group of movies that David Gordon Green made. Yeah, just going in, um, you know, I, it annoys me, but I'm guilty of this too. I've said it. Yeah. Like I have no expectations. That's a fucking lie. Right. Everybody has expectations. <laughs> right. Like I mean, I said it. Like, like I obviously had expectations. I thought it was going to go a certain way. Yeah. Even like, but like I was talking to Mike Merriman prior to going to see it that first. Always a that, horrible idea. Know, well, no, I was like, I have no expectations. I just hope it's fun. I clearly, as I'm watching it, I had expectations. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel disappointment. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And um, it wasn't that like I like like I, I knew the twist going in of what they were doing to some degree, but I just thought like the way that I had it in my head, I was like, okay, I can be okay with it if they do it this way. And right. they didn't end up doing it that way. And I think that's what pissed me off initially. So it wasn't the twist necessarily. No. It was the execution. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I, we'll go into it more. But um, I was disappointed that um, I really, I really wanted more Michael um, on that initial watch. Um, I will get into my second watch after we get uh, Craig's general thoughts going into the film. Yeah, so Craig, prior prior to going in, what were what was your? Did you have any expectations yeah. for this movie, Craig? After coming off of Kills? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is just in case anybody listening has not watched the film, be aware we're about to just spoil the shit out of it. And yeah, cut to sorry the for the bomb there, but um, <laughs> but just you know, I don't want anybody to be surprised and be mad it's at us over it. So let's say that, but let's move on. So. Um, you know what? By the time Kills ended the first viewing in the theater, they had kind of mangled my expectations to some extent. Okay. Um, I I didn't know the way that ended. I didn't know what they were going to do. Right. Because yeah. you know, I I remember we talked about last year. You know, I said, are they going to chain him up? Is he going to be in prison? Is he going to, you know, are they going to be prisoner transfer and he's going to escape again for the third one? You know, are they going to be able to really look the audience in the eye and do that? Right. And they didn't. They did, and they didn't kill him. They didn't do the old universal, you know, drop a drop a dam on him or you know whatever, drop a building on him. He just went away, and, <laughs> and so I I really didn't. Um, and I understand what you're saying about bringing some expectations to it. I I had some minor ones. Right. But I was pretty open to whatever they were going to do. And when I say that, I mean it in a, it wasn't like, you know, you could have Martha Stewart pop in and just cook, bake a cake for an hour and a half and, and call it Halloween ends. And I'm fine with it. That's not what I mean. But, right. <laughs> um, 
But if they wanted to, to go off in some new tangents, um, I was willing to give them, you know, give it a shot. So I yeah. was with it. And I really liked, I thought the actor who played Corey did a very nice job garnering audience sympathy right mm -hmm. off the bat, or at least he did for me. Um, so I felt pretty good about that. Um, and, I, you know, we got well into the movie and not a whole lot of what you would expect in a Halloween film had happened. Right. And I was thinking to myself, I, I kind of almost sat up in the chair and kind of said, am I okay with this? <laughs> and I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, I kind of am. I, I'm yeah. Okay. I, you know, I don't, and at that point had it had just that gone on for another hour, I think I wouldn't have been happy, but then they did finally get around to it. Even, you know, and I say finally, but yeah, you know, but, but what they got around to was potent enough that in the end, um, I came out of this and I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I liked it. So you did like it. I did. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you love it? No, um, <laughs> but I, but I didn't love kills. Remember I gave it two and a half out of five. Right. Uh, I, I gave, you know, I'd give eight, 18, a, a three out of five. It, well, don't rate it yet. Don't rate it yet. Okay. I'm not going to write ends, but, but that's what I gave those two. Right. Okay. Um, you know, the first film in 78, that's a five-star movie. Right. Yes, absolutely. Well, where, where is H2O for you? I know your Michelita is in it. That's a three. And yes, she most certainly is. That's a three-star. Um, two is a three-and-a-half-star, the original two. Yep. Um, everything else is below three. And, uh, you know, four, five, and six, two, and maybe six is a one-and-a-half. I mean, I'm... And so then it's not your favorite franchise. Um, no, Friday the 13th is my favorite franchise. Okay. What is yeah. your favorite Friday movie? Uh, probably the final chapter and sad sure. news to report that yeah. Ted White oh, or Jason me. died at 96 yesterday, but, yeah. um, that one, six is also four and six are my two. The first film, I mean, that, that's the thing, you know, I can go back. Uh, I walked into the first one. I, I'm sorry to tangent off on this, but no, no please we're go, it's man. The season. that's why you're here. Yeah. You know, I was a, I was a barely in double digits. My parents go to see what I think was probably Tom Horn with um, one of um, Steve McQueen's last movies. Okay. And um, it was a two screen theater, which is still kind of a new concept at the time. So I went to the other thing, parents paid for the ticket and I go to see Friday the 13th and I walk into the theater and it's, and, and it's daylight. It's the movie's still going the previous showing, but it's daylight. And there's a girl out in a canoe on the lake. And the cops are pulling up at the beach. And I'm like, oh, good. Because I'm in here alone as, you know, whatever age I was, you know, very young. And I would, and these movies scared me very badly. Halloween had scared me very badly. I think I mentioned that last year. Yeah. So I sat down and I'm like, well, at least I have a few minutes to enjoy this quiet, calm ending. And then I'll see some credits and then we'll get into the scary stuff. And then here comes crazy damn Jason coming up out of the water. And <laughs> You know, I basically laid a, a brick there on the chair and got up and shakingly walked over to Tom Horn, which hadn't started yet. Yeah. The parents are sitting in the well-lit, you know, thing before Maria Menounos and Nuvi was there. And they're just sitting there waiting for the movie to start. And I go, I, I don't know that I can do this because that scared me so badly. Wow. And my mom said, well, you can stay here and watch Tom Horn with us. And I said, no, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it. So I went back and watched Friday's, but, but I have, you know, that solid of a memory of the first movie. 
That's all right. I have solid memories going right down the line of every one of them. But four, I went with friends and the audience was totally into it and that we were fictating to the screen that we were yelling stuff and it was hilarious stuff. Um, they start nailing the door shut and my buddy yelled, you darn dummies, he hasn't used a door in four movies. <laughs> and, right. Uh, stuff like that. And so that was a golden <laughs> experience. And then six, I took a girl to the drive-in. Oh. So, you know, and we were in the backseat making out while the, you know, Jason's killing everybody. So that was, you know, that's a, a memory. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and the problem, you know, I like all of those Fridays, but I like Halloween one and two, H2O, and, you know, kind of like this new trilogy. Um, hated, you know, well, I didn't care for four, didn't really much like five, hated six. Yeah. Hated Rob Zombie. So, yeah, um, this this franchise takes a backseat to Friday for sure for me. Right. Well, so in a Halloween movie, uh, like typically, I know typically isn't really the best way to start, but what what do you like to see? What do you look for in a Halloween movie? Do, does the ambiance in it uh, matter? Um, what kind of things do you would you say that you kind of tend to look forward to? To yeah, lean towards. Um, I like the I like the stalk and slash um, sequences. Yeah. Um, I like the way that uh, in the good ones, he is a quiet, he's the shape. He's, you know, he comes out from the darkness and, and gets you. Yep. And um, he doesn't always, although the sequels change this a bit, but I mean, he's pretty much that butcher knife guy. He's not somebody who has to grab a different implement for every kill, right. which has kind of become Jason's shtick to some extent. Right. Um, and I do like the ambiance. It, you know, they pretty much always take place in October, right at Halloween. Um, but I'm also not at the same time. I hear a lot of people talk about how much they love the opening of four and the credits of four because of how much Halloween imagery is in it. That doesn't help me at all uh, enjoy that movie. You have yeah, four seems like barren to me. Well, I, I know you said that five is obviously your favorite. So I'm assuming that's probably your favorite opening as well. Five for Halloween? Yeah. No, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a five fan. <laughs> Fuck oh, no, no, oh. Uh, no. I meant like uh, like a five rating. Oh, um, oh, just the first film. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so oh. Uh, I'm curious, um, aside from the OG, what has been your favorite sequel opener? Ooh. Two. And yeah. I'll tell you why. Um, because it picks up right where the other one left off. Mr. <laughs> Sandman brilliantly subverted into being now, you can't, I can't hear that song without thinking of that movie. Right. Um, right. You have the stunt done from another angle, yep. which bigger budget. So you get that crane shot. Um, oh, love that shot. And, you know, it, it picks up and then you, you come right out onto the outside and you have the new footage where he comes out and checks the grass. And that exchange between him and the neighbor gives me chills to this day, 40 years later. You don't know what death is. This is some kind of a joke? I've been <laughs> trick-or-treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. So yes. for us, so good. Like Dewey um and Scream. I always was about to scream, sorry, but he he's definitely like the heart of the franchise. 
So like, I'm very curious of how moving forward, I'm going to feel about these sequels. Do you feel, I, I have a point here. Yeah. Do you feel like after, you know, Donald Pleasant's death, um, you know, do you feel like there's been something missing since he passed and hasn't been in any of the films? Or I know you said you're yes. not a fan of four, five, and six. I mean, he was in those, but do you feel like had he been still alive and able to be in this new David Gordon Green trilogy? Well, we got fake Loomis in it. We did get fake Loomis. <laughs> um, but it, it, I believe that's your friend, right? It is actually. I'm, oh, I'm that's hosting right. a movie screening with him tomorrow. He's a special guest because he's a construction coordinator, he builds the sets. And they saw him and said, there's our new Loomis. And I mean, they did a little prosthetic work on him, but it's not digital or anything. Yeah. He really looks pretty much like him. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, he's, uh, he, he builds the sets. He built, you know, the Myers house inside of stage 10 here when they did kills. Wow. And we're hosting, he did, he built the house out on the beach for nights and Rodanti. And um, that's being screened here at one of the theaters tomorrow. And I'm hosting and, and doing the Q and a with him tomorrow after the movie. So. Craig, that's amazing, man. Yeah. Did they ask him to be involved in this and the this final film at all? No, I don't. I don't think there was ever a plan to do any 1978 um, stuff. You know, any other flashbacks other than the actual footage, which I I noticed they didn't. I don't think they showed him at all. Nothing. I don't no. know if that's his estate. You know, you got to pay through the nose to right. the real look. You know, the real guy. Right. Um, but um, I do think the films lost something when he died. And I do think that four, five, and six, what value they have for me is partially because he's in them. Right. Right. Had he checked out, had he, had he said after two, no, I'm not coming back for any more of these, but that wasn't a Donald Pleasant's answer. Donald Pleasant's answer was always yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you read interviews, you know, he says, I have family to support. So, you know, he, he would take any job. Right. And um, so, yeah, I think, you know, H2O pulled it off. Um, right. They certainly reference him you know, all through as much as they can. Um, but but I also got a thrill when Loomis returned in Kills. That was part of what I thought was a very right. good yes. part of it was bringing him back. And I thought they handled it all pretty well. The voice was a little less successful than the appearance, but still, uh, right. it was a thrill to see Loomis back on screen. In any form, so. Yeah, so I think we should get into the opener um, ends. The now, opener, oh my God, let's start there. I mean, I mean, you got to start there. Well, okay, I want to get the opening shot. Yeah. Now, right there, I'm like, oh my God, here we go. Because you got trick-or-treaters everywhere. It is Halloween in Haddonfield. It's trickery. And in this moment, <laughs> though, I do want to say that from that shot of the trick-or-treaters and then with our main character, Corey Cunningham, riding up to the house, I was like, this is what it's all about. This is what I look forward to. And this is why, regardless of whether I like the film, love it, hate it, or whatever, I will always be grateful that they make these movies sequel after sequel because I always get excited. Yeah. Like, I hated Kills. How excited was I to go in that theater? Like, I didn't care. I'm like, it's Halloween. It doesn't Let's matter. Let's go. Yeah. Um, that opening sequence is something else. What a way to kick it off. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, like, it's very trickery with, because uh, it starts almost like it's going to give you the form formulaic, um, like other films where it starts with the trick-or-treaters and then, you know, you get an iconic Michael shot or, yep. you know, whatever. 
but the only mention of Myers or anything is that based off of the murders from the previous year, it has this kid that this guy's babysitting what's the bed because of right like that's literally the only mention that we get of michael myers well the kid talks to him as well saying he doesn't come after kids he goes after babysitters (laughs) so but the whole point of that though is the is to show that fear has infected this town like especially because myers is is back now and now it's bigger than ever and that really does play with the last movie that this kid was messing with them due to the legend of Michael Myers. And um, yeah, sorry, go ahead, continue. Uh, yeah, no, um, I was just going to get to the point that um, I didn't like, so everybody keeps saying like, I love different, blah, blah, blah. It's so different. Like, I didn't mind this opening. I actually really liked it. I was like, all right, we're in for a fucking surprise. Like, whatever's coming. Right. You know, like, I'm excited. That's how you're going to open it. You're going to kill a kid. Okay, I'm in. Like, I know that sounds really messed up. But, like, (laughs) literally, I mean, it was different. And I appreciated it. Right. That opening. I like, I like, let's keep that pace. Let's go. Right. But I didn't do that. Um, we'll get more into that later. So I really, really did. I think it's a strong opener. It's a rememberable, memorable opening. Oh, hundred percent. Um, like I'm never going to forget it. I can tell you that. Like it's strong in my opinion. It's a very strong opening without Sans Michael. Right. I I also liked how it established the main character because uh, I did choosing between Heineken and Chalky Milk stuff like that yeah <laughs> like and then yeah you can't you know walk ah, this movie's a little too scary it felt very much like the classic Halloween kind of like Lori was back mm-hmm. in the back in the 70s where she was not a goody two-shoes so to speak but at the same time like morally speaking like he was just a good kid he's mowing their lawn for him too right. you should get perennials or whatever he says it's just like okay i like this dude i didn't love him but he was okay the kid was annoying as hell and maybe that was purposefully done um i was just uh, there's something about it i was like this little asshole i just don't like this kid um and then obviously uh you know yeah it was a big step difference from like 2018 uh the kid that was being babysat like, oh he, he was, was funny he was likable which he's in the end of the movie yeah. or is that him or something like, i felt like, like, like they de-aged this kid <laughs> right but um but, yeah it's it's two different personalities like you like that kid in 2018 whereas in this one he's a little asshole right so it, but the pacing in it and then you think okay some something's happened to the kid i knew that the kid was fucking with him like right out of the gate right like the knife goes missing and it's very it's on the stairs it's very slow paced and it's like okay i did not know where it was going and i gotta tell you the way that scene is constructed to where obviously the kid walks him in what is it the attic or something or something upstairs, like that. Whatever, upstairs yeah. whatever uh walks him and then are you scared michael's gonna get you and he's like come on let me out kicks the door open but at the same time the parents are already back in the house the music starts as they're creeping up it's a perfect crescendo of fucked upness and I loved it. By the time the opening title sequence started, I was like, let's fucking go. I am 100% in. Yeah. 
Uh, Craig, what do you think? Your overall thoughts of of the opener of Halloween ends? Yeah, you guys have pegged it. It's it is. It was a very strong opening. I had um, I tried to avoid spoilers about the movie, um, and I'm not talking about just since the release, but I mean going all the way back to the release of the trailer and everything. Right. But certain things seeped out, and so my consciousness was aware that Corey was apparently going to at some point take on the mantle of Michael Myers. Right. Mm -hmm. But my thought was, because they talked about Lori gets involved in him with his story because he seems to have killed a kid or he, or a kid died under his charge. Mm -hmm. But what I thought, I thought he was, you know, batshit crazy from the get go. And I thought he was going to, the kid was going to open the door and he was going to be Michael Myers. I thought he was going to have brought the stuff in the house and, right. and I thought he was going to stab the kid to death or something. And um, so that all, that all surprised me how it played out um, to some extent and, and the violence of it and, and the graphicness of it. Uh, I was delighted with because yeah, I mean, I, I want, I want hardcore. I don't, you know, I don't like PG 13 horror. So right. uh, yeah, totally, totally with you on it. And I, that's why it struck me because I thought he was already going to be, I thought the whole plan was he was going to get in this house with this kid, dress up as Michael Myers and kill him. And right. when he was so likable with the parents, I was already, I was being subverted from my thoughts. You know, well, how is he going to, how is he going to convincingly tell, you know, make us believe he's Michael Myers if he's so likable? Right. Or why would he be doing this? So right. the fact that it turned out to be an accident, you know, shocked me and so yeah well, see, totally think, with the movie at that point see i think i knew that it was going to be an accident however i thought he like the parents were going to get there in time and then he was going to blame it on michael that that is oh, yeah okay that would have that, been that, brilliant. that was what i was thinking as i'm watching it and i'm like okay i can see how this is going you know also there's i don't know that, so that's where my expectations disappointed me. and you know <laughs> and you had me thinking that and there's a scene a very odd scene in the bar where they him and allison are dancing together she brings him a drink from lindsey wallace mind you and I thought that it was going to go in some sort of, not that this makes sense, it's kind of a half-baked idea, yeah. but I thought that they were drugging him and they were going to corner him and be like, hey, was that really Michael motherfucker or was that you? Do you know what I mean? Like, because, oh. yeah, because the way Allison yeah. and Lori show up in his life, I'm going to get to it, but yeah. that was my biggest problem with the movie and that's why i said well if they're just kind of playing them for some reason to to get information out of him and actually confirm or deny whether that was actually michael or not well then that could be interesting that's not what happened um see that's what yeah. i mean by expectations though like even if maybe you didn't even have any prior like as you're watching it you have like oh this is the direction they're going in and that's awesome right. and then it doesn't happen you're like oh okay we're going to um, get a ride along on a motorcycle for a while. Well, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. but that's fine. Uh, just back to the opening. Really yes. Quick. Sorry. I gotta uh, one thing that I really did also enjoy was uh, they brought back the line of dialogue of he's going to get you, which yeah. is obviously a big thing from the original. So Corey said it as they were sitting there, um, you know, as they're watching the thing. Right. 
And then um, the kid said it after he locked him into the <laughs> closet. So there's a lot of bullying going on, which was a huge focal point of the original Halloween. Yeah. Um, you know, with the bullying of Tommy Doyle. So like when people talk about like the bullying mentality and like kills and like, it really is like true to the heart of the original, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I did appreciate that. What yeah. do you think, Craig? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I do think though, that um, a lot of modern horror, uh, say the last 15 years have, has a bad tendency to make nearly every character unlikable Right. So that mm -hmm. you want to see them killed. It's like they're afraid to kill a nice or sympathetic character in some yes. respects. Although this film did kill the father, who was probably the Corey's father, who was probably the most sympathetic person in the film. But um, but I, I I felt like they were painting that on with a pretty heavy brush. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I also enjoy on the opposite side of that. I enjoy stories where put upon nerds snap and get revenge yeah so that's another reason why this worked for me was because those do strum you know my violin of of entertainment so um so yeah the bullying i, I agree and i think that the fact that they featured it in the flashback stuff the the quick montage of scenes from the earlier films uh i think they were you know that's not unintended that the bullying continues right. on but um the other things that surprised me as we were going through that next se sequence of the film uh, and you had some time to think because mm -hmm. you're just meeting the characters and getting to know them. Um, once again, uh, I, David Gordon Green and crew have a very different idea of how big Haddonfield is compared to what I think it should be. Right. <laughs> That's now a really, really large, small city uh, yeah. to me. Um, it's got, you know, train tracks and this and that and all that other stuff. Um, Fun bridge, though. Yeah, but it's it's big. Um, it's not a 3,000 person town. It's, you know, right. it's got to be six figures, I think. Right. And, and it's really bigger than it. I mean, for that lady to, to find Lori outside of the grocery store. You know, it would work better if that was a 3,000 person town where there would be two grocery stores. And you had a half, you know, 50-50 shot of right. catching her outside of it if you hang out. Um, or maybe you're following her car. I don't know exactly how they you know, explain that. <laughs> well, but yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Craig, you are tapping in to literally my biggest problem in this movie. It is so contrived in so many different instances that you would think that this is all going down on like the same block. Like literally the bar and then the houses are like right around the corner. That bridge is used three separate times. One when he pulls Allison over, one when they throw him off the bridge. And then yeah. obviously later on with the cop and, and obviously everything that ensues with the homeless guy as well. And that homeless guy is shown at the store minutes later. So, you know, it's like in walking distance for him, obviously. Right. So again, but like that was he riding his motorcycle too that was <laughs> that was my biggest problem was all the conveniences and before that i want to just back up a little bit and literally go right into the scene preceding the opening credits now what did you think of the of the, the opening credit title sequence with the pumpkin and how it was changing and the blue well yeah. it, 
to me, it was the pumpkin was unmasking, um, which was a certainly a something happening in this film. But I also thought it it played in with the whole idea that there was going to be a second Michael Myers, right? And I and the mask was going to be moving around, and I thought that was a visual to go along with that. The font, uh, I went back and looked. the The font matches Halloween three. Ah. Font for kills matches Halloween two and eighty one, and yeah. Halloween twenty eighteen matches nineteen seventy eight. So, oh, very definitely, um, the, the credits were all played. You know, winking back at the original film that occupied that spot in the in the franchise at that time. Yeah. Um, which also leads to an interesting theory that, um, you know, what if David Gordon Green meant this to be the first of an anthology minus Michael Myers, was forced to put Michael Myers in as much as he did. And uh, so in other words, Laurie and, and uh, the granddaughter would have been gone right. and moved away. And you tell this story of this kid who accidentally kills a kid on the next year but Michael Myers never shows up again. Yeah. And you just tell that story of Corey and maybe he dresses up as Michael Myers, but he kills, you know, everybody who wants to, uh, you know, has been bullying him. There were test screenings and it did not fare well. So I do know that they did go in and make changes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like a lot. Well, I think. And one of the theories that I did see online is that, um, all three films encompass, each film, the first three films. So like the first one um, is about Dr. Loomis seeing evil and he kills some babysitters, right? Um, So in the first, in 2018, it's Lori who basically takes place of Dr. Loomis with a little bit of of Dr. Sartan and he still kills some babysitters and their friends, right? That's right. And so the second one, um, 81 takes place largely in a hospital. See, that's where I have a with with Lori with Lori on the sidelines. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's true. So, um, even though we don't see Michael in the hospital in part two, he is uh, the 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 film does take place largely in a hospital with Lori again on the sidelines. You're not wrong. Um, And he amps up the body count just as he did in two. Two. Yeah. And. He amps up the body count with different implements, just as he did in two. Uh, yeah. And so, the third yeah. film, which the big whole thing with that was there was no Michael Myers. What are people mostly complaining about about this film? There's barely any Michael Myers. No, stop that real quick, too, because I know that's not the only argument for that. There are some other similarities, but you have not seen Halloween 3 yet. We're watching it this year, so I'm not going to dive into that. So, Just, yeah, but there is don't don't even try and guess. I'm but not, yeah, I mean, there is so, similarities. So, I think. There, so there is intention between each of those three films. I thought you were kind of like reaching when you first told me, but when you just broke down what the line of she was sitting on the sidelines for most of the movie. Yeah. It, it, you're right. He you're, you're recreated right. the first three films. He right. really did. Okay. We so, talked about that two and kills yeah. thing last year when we talked about kills. We talked yes. about the fact that it paralleled the second film where she was on the sideline so right right interesting and you know and you may well be right i mean it's not impossible i don't know that we'll ever know the truth but um they may well have made that film without all of that could have been reshoots adding michael right and you know jamie lee maybe i don't know that's a big chunk i think she would have had to be in it but right but maybe he had just faded away 
I, I also had a bizarre theory thinking again that um, I thought that he imagined Michael in the sewer. Yes. Yeah. That's until, what I was thinking. Yeah. Until he took the mask and then Michael sat up and we saw the burned face. And that's when I realized we're for good, bad or ugly. We're, you know, he's here. He, he is back. Right. Um, I thought they were going to actually, my thought was he was going to keep going back to the sewer and he was doing all the killing. You know, it wasn't Michael. Yeah, like when he took the cop back there. Yeah, but um, then he was going to go attack Lori, and then I thought it was going to find its way back to the sewer, and the big reveal was going to be Michael's corpse, like a skeleton, right. the jumpsuit on, but he had taken the mask to you know take over the role. That's what I thought was going to happen, and then of Dang. course once Michael sat up and we saw his burned face, I was like, oh well, I guess not. I guess this really is Michael Myers back, but he's just been really not feeling well down in the sewer for four years so right well and also but first of all you're so on point with that craig and i do think that there's a good chance that's exactly what happened i think that that like that's how i envisioned in my head as well where yeah he was dead and he was just imagining because a lot of this movie like that's why my jaw was on the floor it felt a lot of it like a dream like mm. It was like an else world situation. And the reason I say that is this, because I do want to go back even further. I know we're going back to the opening title sequences again. But first of all, we get a recap of Lori, uh, Sex in the City style, telling us of her adventure <laughs> with Michael, right? I didn't really appreciate that. I felt it super lazy in terms of like, if you're going to narrate this fucking thing, like, I want some great Lori lines. And we didn't get that at the end of Kills. I think that's what they tried to obviously go for, but they didn't achieve it. When she's talking over and they show that that montage of back in the 70s and obviously quick flashes of what went on in the past couple years, I found that to be extremely lazy and force-fed. Like, okay, guys, like, this is this is for the Halloween crew that that forgot about the, like we know exactly where we're at we don't need that shit recapped in such a way where i felt like i was five years old that's how i felt like just her explaining that that's a studio exec thing though i yep. guarantee you that's yep. a note you know yeah that well, opening uh you know what about the people who are coming to this first time you know we can't you got to set this up for them right and so i'm sure they were forced to sit down with a spoon and a jar of baby food <laughs> Well, if you see all the morons on the internet, like they're so confused, they're like, Lori had a son in age to a where is where's no, John? Please, no, we're like, not even no, doing no, that. No, but I'm serious. <laughs> we're not. So I feel like maybe that's why they came in and that's what I mean. Dumb it the fuck down. That's what I'm saying. I'm so mad that they this is like all these movies are for the fans, and yet they're catering to, I guess, technically all the fans, even the outer ridge ones. <laughs> way they're like give ones. us your money, even though you're watching on Peacock. But right, so. Here's, okay, here's my main thing with it. And this has been kind of stewing around in my brain for a while. And when we watched it for the second time, it's definitively one of my other big problems with this. Now, I get that this is four years later after the events of the last movie. Unnecessary. Well, well, that's fine though. Because <laughs> you know what? In that time, you can show growth. You can show all these things. Let's break this fucking thing down. From 78 to fucking 2018, Lori was a mess. She had she got divorced. She was an alcoholic, just swigging vodka in her car, yep. watching, watching Michael's fucking uh, bus drive away, 
clearly shook, clearly shook, right? Now, this is after he killed a couple of her friends, right? Now, rightfully so, that's fine. The only problem with that is, since the last film, he killed her daughter, is now missing, not confirmed dead, just out there, and she's sitting there baking fucking pies. She's She's embracing Halloween. Oh, darn it. Like, it, almost like she's trying to go back to the original worry before all this happened or whatever. How is that consistent that for all those years you were a mess and you know he was locked up because Loomis tried to kill him, Craig's friend almost tried to kill him, and the cop wouldn't let him. Fucking, uh, you know, remember the Titans fucking stopped Hawkins. him from shooting him. Yeah. So we know that from that point, he's locked up. It's not a mystery. He's locked up. And she's having these anxieties then, but now he's disappeared. Nobody's he, found him. And, and he's still on. he's still on the loose. We bought a house. I got I'm writing a book now. I'm flirting with with fucking remember the Titans. Like it just seems so off and inconsistent with that character in that timeline with, from those two previous movies. Am I wrong? It, it, I just thought it was completely off. I'll give you that. I totally agree uh, to some extent. The thing is, the Lori that we saw in uh, 2018 was not really a teenage girl who lost two friends and a boyfriend who I I don't think she knew. uh, and, And then 40 years later, she was the person who had been attacked in six sequels. Right, Whatever. I agree. Um, I don't think that they could let that baggage go, and so they had her reacting as though she had been attacked eight times in several sequels, even though they then said those sequels don't exist, and the only thing that ever happened was he killed those five people or whatever it was. That's why it's um, a bullshit, And that's though. why H2O... <laughs> I hate it. That's why H2O, Lori, is way stronger, in my opinion. But that's why this, this, these David Gordon Green films are bullshit. They literally want you to forget that he's an iconic killer. So technically he's only killed a couple people. And yet, like like Craig said, she's acting like every version leading up to this point in all the sequels. And it's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. What was the purpose of taking out those sequels then? Was it just to show that they weren't brother and sister and to reiterate that he this is a random thing? And if that's true, well, then why put Dr. Sartain in and, and he lets him go right in front of her house and he's, okay, go ahead, go get her now. What's the point of all this? It's like this doing this big loop around only to end up in the same place. None of it really matters. You shouldn't have taken out part two. You should have just let it ride. You know, I think the thing that bugs me the most about like the comments on or people loving it it's about grief and trauma and how it affects the whole town and blah 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 like yeah it's cool however i don't give a fuck i want to see michael Myers slashing some people that's what i was gonna like, <laughs> right to, to be honest like do I, I, like do i it's never been a psychological fucking horror movie it's about a dude who stalked a couple people right. killed them without any motive whatsoever he's just a fucking psychopath 
but now I have to like see all of these assholes in this small ass town just be terrible fucking people. Blame it on Lori, who's been attacked more times than anybody. Right. Like this poor woman. Like oh no, she has plenty well, to fucking blame I mean, for. I'm, I'm just saying, but like <laughs> not that though. But like it's like before. people are justifying it because it's what grief and trauma can do. Fuck you. It's a slasher movie from 1978 that spawned 13 fucking sequels. Are you kidding me? And I and I think that's where Scream 5 got it right, where mm-hmm. they were talking about elevated horror yes. and the Babadook. That's and then and then the but the line is. But that's not what this is. This is a whodunit slasher. So I feel like Scream knows what it is, and exactly. that's why that worked for that. But with this, listen, I'm I am hundred million percent with you on this. But to be devil's advocate, they have they wanted to do something different. He's not going to do the same thing with it, and he's trying to add in social aspects, new character aspects, and stuff like that. I just thought it was way too much. Like. What I want different, quote unquote, in my Halloween movies is bring in new characters. You can have different dynamics. You can have obviously different situations that happen. And you can actually really get pretty far away from what the original was without kind of going on this path. I thought that if if Corey would have taken over and like kind of what, what Craig said, I like Craig's idea better. That's perfect. Like if they would have done more of that, I would have loved it. But again, I got so many more problems with it. That I don't want to, I don't want to harp on, uh, <laughs> on like the little problems I have because it feels like I'm almost nitpicking because I have such bigger fish to fry. Well, I just want to touch one more note here. Like it, there were test screenings of this, right? And it really does feel, I know you kind of touched upon this already, but I just want to elaborate um that i believe that maybe Lori and allison weren't even in it originally and the test screenings went so poorly people are like what the fuck of where he was just taking over being michael myers and it just wasn't him and it was more of like a roy thing from five mm-hmm. um i think the best parts of this movie are almost with michael um like i do like the opening and the ending mm-hmm. um but we'll get more into that i suppose but i'm glad that they did bring that um if that was missing that they did incorporate myers into the film mm-hmm. um like it, if they hadn't like people would have been even more pissed but just for the fact that they did do that people are blowing it right like which is ridiculous because we'll get into why that is absolutely ridiculous and what they did to michael myers deserve better and most of this movie but anyway so uh, Craig, what are your thoughts of the after the sequence, after the opening sequence? After which sequence? The opening sequence. So oh, okay. Getting well, into- there was a lot of of character building, um, and I understand everything you guys have said about the problems you have with it, and they all make total sense, and and you're not wrong. I mean, in any way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> at some point, those you know, you can you can choose to let it go and, and just keep watching, which I guess is what I did because right. Right. Um, yeah, I if I was going to sit there and just break it down as I, you know, every second of it along the way. Yeah. I, I, I do. Yeah. I did have problems. I thought to my, in my, to myself, boy, she's awfully stable and adjusted from the character, you know, 40 years of <laughs> batshit crazy, four years of therapy after having worse and more and worse trauma. 
and she seems fine. I, you know, that was iffy, but then, you know, but then I'm like, all right, okay, she's fine. Let's, okay, what story are you telling me where she's fine? So I, you know, so I, I accepted that and went on with it. Um, I, again, the Corey, I did the the granddaughter. What is the character's name, by the way? The granddaughter. Allison. Allison. Um, number one, the actress looks really old in the first scene. She comes in. She looks like she's uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's, you know, best buddy, like the Golden <laughs> Girls Part Two. Yeah. <laughs> Where that actress, she got younger looking as it went on. I don't know if they figured out how to, you know, do her makeup better or what. But she looked like she was 35 or 40 uh, in the opening scene. And then she finally got back to being a 22-year-old, finally. Um, but uh, some, of the, some of the stuff that she was, some of the arc for her, I didn't enjoy. Um, I think that, that um, I think that she should have been more wholeheartedly for the kid or against the kid. I, it was a little bit back and forth that I wasn't much on. Um, well, do you I thought that he pulled off some some things that, um, you know, red flags that maybe he wasn't <laughs> maybe that great of a guy, but she's well, kind of stuck with him. I got to ask you, Craig, their relationship took place over the course of four fucking days. Right. Is that right? Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. Like, like what? I just want to be with them. He's the only one. That, it's been four days. If I can't have her, like, nobody can. And like, what? obviously, like Halloween time, like your grandmother is trying to fucking embrace it at this point right yeah and like she's trying to move on with her life and obviously halloween is a traumatic tragic time that can be very triggering probably for Lori. and i just don't buy how quickly she was able to turn on Lori, and how quickly like we get it like your mom and dad died and like he's convinced you within a day that it's your grandma's fault i'm surprised at the fact that Lori could come in the movie so quickly and fuck so much shit up in like one <laughs> or two scenes. And I'll tell you why. Now, when she sees Corey getting bullied after he, after he breaks the chocolate milk in his hand, <laughs> I feel like that's how I would get cut. Like, how'd you do it? Broke some chocolate milk, broke a Yoohoo glass. But um, she shows up and she's like, okay, Let's slash their tires. Let's provoke the bullies so they can go throw you off a bridge later in the movie. Now, <laughs> I do think, I do think they probably would have done it anyways, even still, because he so didn't. So, well, because they didn't, he didn't buy his beer, so yeah, they probably would have, wouldn't have stopped there. But I'll tell you what, provoke them and slash their tires, and chances are that's probably going to come back around you. So, first of all, thanks, Wardy. And then secondly, she throws a stupid bike in the back of her fucking pickup truck <laughs> and she drives to the hospital direct, almost like Lonnie did with Lonnie's kid that he brought right, in the line of fire. right to the lion's den. And she brought now, obviously, I get it. Like she. There has to be a purpose. She sympathizes everything. with this dude because she knows who he is and, and she knows that about the accident and she has she is seen as a pariah throughout the town and she knows he has as well so by introducing him to allison she honestly is trying to do something good i get that but also 
you fucking idiot. But it's <laughs> like, like that's how I look at it. Which is like they act like this relationship well, has been progressing over. That's where they meet. They meet in the hospital. It's right. They meet in the hospital. She's already like, you're going to take me out sometime. Like, and I'm sorry. I got to address the elephant in the room. A girl that looks like that is not going to date a Melvin like this. I'm sorry. He's too dorky. And I get it. They trauma bonds people together. We both, I know how you feel, blah, 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 blah. I get all that. I just didn't buy it, if that makes sense. So like- that can be made is that she probably knew who he was through town. It is she did. Small, she right? said she says yeah. later on in the film that she did know. She said that when they when she heard about the story, she automatically felt the connection with him. Right. And and again, one of my biggest, if not the biggest problem that I have in this movie is the relationship between Corey and Allison. Like, not only is their relationship so odd and kind of back and forth and especially with Lori interjecting but there are so many setups where <laughs> it's just so weird it's like Lori's all for it and then she goes to the kid's parents house and and talks to them she's seeing he's seeing my daughter what do you mean they've been seeing each other for two days they hung out right. for like four hours like what yes you don't get that suspicious over a course of i mean maybe, it's contrived it's a story it's like it's ridiculous. A, it's like, written it by have a taken place like over time like right. show montages of like the relationship progressing over like a month maybe or maybe like, yeah something four fucking days 100 like, ridiculous i mean allison just really wanted to get dick down she was wet this whole movie she was craig what is your thought on Corey and allison's relationship well, now I want to fix the film uh, to uh, address some of these things you've said. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we kind of just. So what if what? So let's play. Let's play. What would have fixed it? Would would you think it would have worked better? Let's say the film had started with the opening as is, twenty nineteen. Yeah. Twenty yeah. twenty. Mm-hmm. So we jump ahead a year. He's coming out of the trial phase. Yes. He gets bullied. Mm-hmm. And. She takes him to the hospital and he meets Allison. In 2021, they've been together for eight months. And then right. in 2022, or maybe 2021, I don't know, somewhere in there though, you know, then all the negativity starts to, to strike mm-hmm. him and he starts to snap. But they've had, you know, months together. Do you think that would have played better? Um, like, I don't even need that much time, like, but four days just to, like, for her to leave town, wanting to leave town and, like, abandon everything that, like, her grandma has survived and, like, taught her and, like, let her live in her house and, like, over, like, it's got to be longer than four days. Like, you have to have time for him to get in her head. Right. And, you know, he's like, your grandma's trying to kill me. Like, what? (laughs) Like, Allison's not a stupid girl. Like, she never was, you know? And I mean, clearly, I mean, she lost her mom, which was a huge point, but like, and that's something that is completely lackluster in this. It doesn't explain that at all. Um, We, her death was not great, but anyways, um, we're moving on to this film. So, but I'm just saying it needed a little bit more time to establish the relationship, at least maybe three, three months to one month max. No, you don't even need that. Hey, situation. 
Allison, because much like Lori is getting yelled at by Lenny Clark's wife in the parking lot yeah. there. Well, she can't yell because she cut her throat, but yeah. whatever. Much like that. Okay, same situation too with the with the radio DJ. He's like, get off my property before I beat both of your asses or whatever. Yeah. Allison is also somewhat of a scarlet letter pariah, right? Yeah. Have a situation where he sees her getting bullied and he saves her. Boom, right there. Yeah. Then she sympathizes with him, but she was already ready to fucking go That's a good point. when he shows up at the hospital yeah. brought by Lori. Why does he need to be brought in by Lori? It it would have worked. So they can all have somewhat of a relationship within the four day time frame that they that's five right. I feel like that's what it was. Yeah. Like, let's force these fucking scenes together so we can see the dichotomy of when he does make the turn. Then, because I'll be honest with you, I didn't really hone in onto that scene Mm -hmm. until later but the scene where Corey shows up at the house and this is uh, obviously I'm jumping ahead but this is after something big happens in the sewer but after he shows up she notices in his eyes she sees the same dead the the dark the blackest eyes like she sees the same thing that she saw in Michael Yeah. So I didn't really catch on to that as much, but that was a big thing. So I want to backtrack and and get to that point because I feel like the rest of the movie is kind of based on this one scene. So the scene is Corey gets bullied, thrown off a fucking bridge, the same bridge that Allison gets pulled over by the cop on. Uh, You like hate this bridge. I hate this bridge so much. Because it's it's the epitome of being contrived. So he falls off the bridge, homeless dudes down there. We didn't notice this on the first watch, but second watch, you can see Michael at the corner of the frame. After he's fallen off the bridge. Yes. And I was like, is that fucking Michael, right? Just walking up, limping up. Yeah. What? Drags Corey into uh, a drain and, and Corey goes to get out. Michael grabs him on the way out. Now, this is a big scene. How did you take this, Craig? There's a there's a bunch of flashes of Cordy's life when Michael grabs him and he's looking into him and Michael lets him live. Now he sees the evil. He sees it. Now, does he see evil? Was evil transferred into him? Because Lori could see a difference in him when he came back. Right. So how did you perceive that scene uh in the sewer, Craig? Him letting him go, yeah. Yeah. It, well, it was confusing but keep in mind that as i'm watching that scene i'm formulating my theory that he imagined him ah, right. right so so right. i'm not sure that he saw michael myers there um yeah. but um i felt like he got away i thought where where it was a little more why didn't michael kill him if michael was killing everybody in kills if you came within arm's reach he killed you mm-hmm. and um and so when he killed the cop I wasn't sure what made Michael not one of the just go on and kill Corey right. right then. There's another person right here, and I like to kill people kind of yes. thing. Um, but I guess I, I would have to go along with you that um, that he did, um, that they share the same kind of that, that evil energy or whatever. Um, although I'm not sure, I guess killing the homeless guy yeah, Maybe that's what you know was the turning point, and that's where Michael would have recognized that in him. Right. I guess, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, 
And Easter egg, of course, the homeless guy is James Jude Courtney. Oh, that was. Yeah, which, you know, so when he says I'm Michael Myers, oh, there's a wink at the audience. Ah, uh, that I did not know well, that. And was then, uh, wasn't Nick Castle? Nick Castle the is at the party. He's the flasher. Yeah. The guy that flashes him. Um, <laughs> I don't, yep. he's got to be in there as Michael Myers somewhere, but I'm not sure right. where. I'm right. thinking it might be at the junkyard, even though that's not actually Michael Myers. I think Myers. it's when he takes the mask off, or like when she's like trying to get the mask off of his face. Oh, the, that makes sense because it mirrors yeah. that scene. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the scene. Oh, oh that could be it. Yeah. Yeah, that could be it. Yeah. But so, um, yeah. Continue, Craig. Sorry. Yeah. Well, just um, at that point, I wasn't, other than formulating the theory that maybe he's imagining Michael. I was just kind of letting the movie flow over me at that point. So I wasn't um, formulating anything else. Um, Wasn't I, I'm, I want to go back now and watch it. Yeah. With what you've said in mind. So I can watch for that turn, watch for that moment and see if I can figure out with you. And also to see Michael, because I love Easter egg type things. If somebody's visible, you know, in in a corner of a frame or something. Well, yeah, it was weird because we've seen it in MX and um, like, all right, so I did get a lot more out of the home viewing than I did the theater viewing, but however, I still recommend seeing it in the theater just based off of like the sound Um, because the quality is so different. Like we don't have like a sound bar or anything like that, but I recommend still seeing it because like that when the opening, when the little boy pops out at the mom. Right. um, In the, in the wolf. Yeah, like yeah. that was so loud in the theater. Um, yeah. Watching it from home, it was it was very lackluster. Right. And I was just like, okay, well, that's something because like, I I did kind of jump a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Right. Yep. Um, did, I did too. Yeah, you did jump. I did. Yeah. yeah. So, but on this one, I was just like, all right, I'm watching it at home. What the fuck happened there? Yeah. Uh, well, how much of that though is it, you already know it was happening though? That's true too. Well, no, it just wasn't loud. It, you know. um, it was weird. Like the sound was different watching it at home. It was much louder. Yeah. Too, like sure. that, maybe if you have a sound bar or something, it might make a difference. But I, that's why I do recommend a theater experience, though. Right. Like you're, even if you have a sound bar, you're still not going to get the same quality that you have at a theater. Yeah. Right. All right. So at this point, though, uh, Corey kills uh, the homeless man. Yes. And then he goes <laughs> out. I killed someone. So now <laughs> you had brought this up to me though, because I would have never caught this, but Allison kind of doesn't react. No. And I think again, she's dialed into, well, I already know that he accidentally killed this kid. Yeah. He must be talking about that. Right. right? So yeah. I missed that. See right there. So, okay, fine. But again, her lack, like, the way she just falls in love with this dude and, and he just, must have some good dick. Mu- he must like cut that that Cunningham that's just slinging She's it, like I touching guess. Touching his lips while they're right while he's riding the bike. She's like, You want to come in like after their first night? All right, I, I'm not gonna lie. Th- this shit's weird. Yeah. Like I didn't buy their relationship at all. And and when they yeah. started playing that music behind it with her on the motorcycle. I stopped and Craig, I was, I was basically had the same line of thinking that you did in that he's imagining all this. And I'm thinking this is going to be some weird, like dream. No, I thought it was going to be a dream sequence. And then he's going to wake up. And then that's when he's going to start killing. Like when he, 
when he finally comes to halfway through the movie or something. Well, see, I thought he was going to have an obsession with Lori. Yeah. And that's why, like, hey, I'm going to take over as Michael. He's disappeared. Right. And then Michael's going to come back. Hey, you can't fucking take my place. Right. Right. And, I mean, we do get a little bit of that, but not really. Right. So, okay, what we get basically is he goes back to Michael and this is after the interaction with the cop at the uh, diner or whatever, falls him back down, uh, basically serves this cop up on a platter for Michael to kill. Show me how you do it, he said, right? Mm -hmm. So Michael uh, just, you know, does what Michael does and starts stabbing motherfuckers. And that's what he did. He stabs this guy. Biggest problem is... Now, again, this is why I wanted to bring this up now as well, because it pertains to what you said about the theater watch. When we watched it on our home screen, you could kind of see him shaking a little bit on the big screen. It looked like he was coming in his pants. Here's a little here's a little uh, throwback, Craig. It was like a Super Mario Brothers power up. <laughs> like, like, like literally he starts shaking like he was powering up. Yeah, he was at, recharged. At this point. I literally audibly said, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I don't believe that this is the same Michael that we ended with Halloween. Oh, Kills. I'm so glad you brought that up again, because I want to say this. They made it a point at the end. And Lori says it. You're just a man. And who's about to stop breathing. Yeah. Right. That's the fucking line. She cuts his throat, whatever. How many fucking times did Michael get shot and stabbed in the last movie? You're telling me that if you're going to go under the under the thing Super. where he's a real person, he's going to get infections from those stab wounds. At least in five, when you had that uh, crazy... He was burned. At least in part five, you had that crazy parrot dude and he was taking care of his wounds, it, right. it appeared so. And they didn't do anything like that. That old guy getting cans wasn't doing shit for Michael. <laughs> right. He wasn't well, helping him. He did him. say that uh, occasionally he'll take he, somebody He takes in somebody there. in there. But what is he taking? Doctors down right. there and like... Can you please make sure I don't get sepsis from this? Like, and what? This is a small town. You're going to tell me that the entire, like, is Hawkins that stupid? Like, he's obviously still a cop, which I didn't even realize on the first watch. He aged uh, 40 years. He did. <laughs> I thought this was 40 years after 2000 or <laughs> Halloween Kills because he was so old. Yeah. But um, he was still a, a sheriff, apparently. Um. But you're going to tell me that nobody looked in this sewer for Michael and that he was able to hide? Like, I'm sorry, it's a serial killer. He killed how many people in the last film? Right. A whole mob could not take this motherfucker down. Right. And all of a sudden, little Corey Cunningham can take his mask away from him. Lori can kill him by kicking him in the leg. Right. Like it, it. I don't believe it's like so. It's not cohesive. His his injuries were very inconsistent through to throughout. Like he was limping at some point. Like he could barely walk. And then when he goes and attacks Allison's nurse friend there and the doctor. Oh, she was so annoying in that house. By the way, I felt that was just a typical. Hey, we're gonna throw this scene in. Although it did show. Corey in his um what was it a scarecrow scarecrow yep. scarecrow mask um the I don't know of the clown mask from part one it's different I I, I did kind of and then he just stashed Michael like in the closet see what I want to see 
is I want to see the scenes that we don't see. I want to see like Michael and Corey in the truck together getting to these places. Like how, well, are they just hanging out? Like what is happening? Because Michael was in the closet ready to go. Is he, is he, is he like, hey, I'll meet you there at the doctor's house? Like how, is, how are all these things going down? I'm wondering. And again, like Craig said earlier, why isn't Michael at any point like, fuck this kid and just murder Corey? Right. What is your take on Corey and <laughs> Michael, Craig? The well, dynamic duo. Yeah. Well, keep in mind that I thought that it was him imagining. Right. <laughs> so, Which I love but that now idea. That you know, yeah. that it's not like how do you? Yeah, know? yeah. Now that I know that, it, well, see, again, off one viewing, and um, now you're you're making me think because, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could say he was taking the the wrecker truck. And he was, you know, they literally were riding side by side, even if that's ludicrous. I mean, it's <laughs> you you want some help killing people and you got to <laughs> show me how to do it. Your new buddy. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess you could take him with you. But, you know, last year we talked about um, I did express that I was a little surprised at the movie at with 10 minutes to go, yeah. 15 minutes to go and kills. They suddenly decided to introduce a supernatural angle. Right. Yeah. And, um, right. And I said, I, I don't understand why when when you're when you go all the way back and you're flashing back to 78 at the beginning of the movie, why you couldn't have had some lip service dialogue, something saying, how did he survive six shots and just set up the idea that you don't have to explain it, but just set up that there's something, you know, mysterious and supernatural about this guy because he seems yeah. to be way resilient to damage. And um, and they they didn't really do that. And, and I think that they had that same problem here because I feel like at some point, I think if you could read the script, and I, I've already got the novelization on order because I really want to see what the, the author does. Um, I really feel like there's going to be some explanation saying that, that he is a supernatural being, much like Freddy Krueger, who gets his energy from people believing in him or something along those lines. Right. And I think that he might appear... You know, when he latched on to Corey, I think that he might be appearing where Corey needs him. Right. But they won't be blatant about that. Right. You know, they won't um, they won't have him literally just appear in the room next to him or something. Totally. So, yeah, that's that's a conundrum. And, and it and it may tinge my, you know, my next viewing, which is coming up Friday as a part of Body Count Weekend. So. Ah, yes. We so. will be participating. Yes, we will. <laughs> so, we'll have to see how this goes over. I'm not expecting this movie to go over well with my crowd, so we'll see how that goes. But. Um, you know, I wouldn't even be surprised. They could even totally, just because they did go with the uh, Lori narration novelization, like it does get its pseudo happy ending, they could easily just make this like it was a dream in Lori's novel. Like anything. Literally, like they could they could retcon this so easily. They could retcon this easier than they did H2O. Well, they're not playing by their own rules and they're also contradicting each other a lot. So I don't think anything is really off the table going forward. Now, I think going forward, they're going to get away from Lori Strode for a long time. We, uh, I think she's done. I do she's, think done. she's done. She's done. Um, but then again, it's amazing. Like one more time, like Tom Brady does the same thing. Like, I'll right. be back. All right. No, never mind. I, all right, fine. I'll be back. So we'll see how that goes. But listen, I don't care. I'm not thinking about the future in terms of 
where this story is going to go. This three-story arc is over. Are you fine with it being over? Craig? Yes. Uh, if, if they, if they choose, if they, if it was chosen that from the rest of film history, there was never going to be another Halloween film. I would be okay with that, even though I understand you guys don't feel like this was a satisfactory ending, but I really don't know where you're going to go because the right. first time they rebooted and did a full remake, it, it blew. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and I don't, you know, if you were, if you were going to remake this five years from now, do you set it period and just retell a 1978 telling? No. Do, you, do you set it in 2027? And it just, it's a brand new thing happening. But with all, think of all the changes that would have to happen to the original story to make it, you know, to play in 2027 with cell phones and all of the nonsense, you know, GPS and everything that we have that they didn't have back then. So I don't know how you reboot. I don't know what you do to tell another Michael Myers story. Right. Uh, With or without her, new actress playing Lori, don't have Lori. You know, if this film had fully established that he had taken on the mantle and that and if I had been right and they had found his body in the sewer and Corey was the only Michael Myers in the film, then I think you've set up that it's almost like an evil spirit that, you know, takes people over and you could you could go on with that, maybe. But I really honestly don't know. Do you guys have an idea of what you think they could do? I yes, do. I, I do. I, I okay. think that um, it, it goes back to simplistic. Um, I don't think we get, um, you know, a Laurie Strode. I think we get a completely different dynamic of characters, um, a new protagonist, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it goes back to being simplistic. And I think it goes back to Michael just being a straight up stalker. And we get that stalking aspect. Do you it's think just, that movie will work today? I, I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, if done accurately absolutely so how do you tell that story did did he kill his sister 15 years ago from whenever this film is made and this is his first and he has no other baggage you've you're this is a brand new start you start the film with him killing his sister and then you jump ahead 15 years to the present day of the time is that your thought I don't even think you need, honestly, the backstory of him killing his sister. I think it could just be some man who broke into a gas station, maybe robbed a gas station, who knows, and got the mask that way, something. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to see, like, it, this probably sounds stupid, but highly effective. What's scary is when there is no motive, right, a lot of the time. So um, I, I do love, like, my trilogy for this is Halloween 80 or 78 81 and h2o like that's it for me like that's what i love and those are the most simplistic in my opinion out of everything like it's not over explained it's not overdone um i do love the sister angle but i do think that this can work if it's just somebody doing it just for the fuck's sake of it which is what they try to do with this but unfortunately like it was way too it, it, it got bigger than what it needed to be, in my opinion. I personally think that 2018 could have been a beginning and an ending all at the same time. It didn't need to be a three film arc. They just wanted to milk money, in my opinion, because they know people are going to come pay su- to see all of this. Was that only group so, at Harris? What? Milk money? Milk money, yeah. Oh. Shut up. Anyway, so <laughs> um, no, but I feel like, so let's take. I really did like let's take Dr. Sartain out of 2018 right let's tack in 
a little bit longer of an ending of 2018. Like, let's have the ending of this one, um, you know, to when she kills him. Like, let's tack that on to 2018 because I don't feel like we need kills at all. Um, let's tack that on. He and just have it. And instead of him going up in flames, because obviously he didn't just tack into where she like literally brutalizes them, have that epic fight scene that they have in 2018, but have her get the upper hand. And then that fucking funeral like scene of where he's on the fucking hood of her car in this, as she's driving him to, you know, go get crushed to death. Like, by the way, like I didn't care for that on my first watch watching it today. I'm not going to lie. I did have chills. Um, just yeah, because, that's cool. Uh, I, I I love that scene. I think it's so over that, the top. I, I love it. I, I feel like that's how it would be. I really do. I think that's that's not how we do things. I, it is tonight. I thought I thought the opening was my favorite, but it's literally <laughs> like um, them all following like in a funeral like style. Like, cause you know, like she said, so we, people, yeah, we got him in a midnight procession. Yeah. I love that. That's cool. I love that. However, it is a little much with his body surfing. Oh, they, no, they tied him to the top of the car on the way there. No, I, I lo- love that. I, I like that he's tied in the car. <laughs> they tied him to the car. They like crowd surfed him to the fucking, uh, like grinder. they did with Superman and, like, and Spider-Man in part two. Right. That's ridiculous. But yeah. I do, but I did get chills with that. But so when that's it, what but that's in my opinion yeah um how to th- like that's how 2018 should have gone get rid of dr sartain just have him escape randomly right like he somehow ends up in Haddonfield, and like obviously they all live there so it's easy to find because it's a small town right and then they have their big showdown and that's epic and that's how it should have ended in my opinion and i didn't need the extra two films like it that's for me Mm -hmm. that's what i needed as a fan right or you know i i know everybody else was a fan of like the other two or whatever but for me that would have been my definitive and i probably would have liked that over h2o had that happened yeah what do you think greg i was thinking of the supercut you could make of of just tacking this ending you I, i guess you'd have to do all of 18 have the fire sequence where he escapes and kills all the guys. And then he goes right to, to the house Lori is staying in and they have the epic fight in the kitchen. And you mm-hmm. cut, you know, you cut into just that part of it, get Corey out of it. And, and that would be like your ultimate 18 trilogy boiled down to a very long one movie. Right. Because it would have about another 30 minutes tacked onto 18. So it'd probably be a two and a half hour, two hour and 45 minute movie, but still, Sounds like, you know, that would be pretty satisfying. Um, I, I just, you know, you were saying just a very simple Michael Myers thing, but it almost sounded like you didn't necessarily want it to be Michael Myers. You just want a guy wearing that outfit killing people. And no, 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 no. It was you do want it to be Michael Myers. Like, I mean, that's the character. Like, I don't want another Corey Cunningham. Like, but I don't need the backstory because I already know the backstory. You know what I mean? So you are going to use some of the history of the previous films for anything that you go forward with. That's the part that I, I, I would. don't know how you do that. Oh, I know. I got the okay. perfect idea. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. All right. The movie opens just like the original. Outside of the house, goes in, all the way up the stairs. Yeah. Obviously, okay, gets the knife, play by play, walks in to presumably his sister. The little eye holes pan up. It's Allison. It's Corey and Allison's son. Halloween rebirth. He fucking kills her. 
boom, you think, oh my God, here we go. We're going to continue the Halloween saga, right? The Literally the grandchild of Laurie Strode and a Michael wannabe. There you go, boom. And then you get like, <laughs> so, and then you get, no, 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 but here's the, here's the real twist. So then you get like a young cop type deal, whatever. He shows up. Oh, this is, you know, this is the Myers. They go through the whole Halloween lore and then it goes off and it continues the anthology thing. So we do a completely different story, but it starts there. It's still within the lead. It's still, it still keeps it right. I know that sounds stupid, but like that. No, actually, this is not bad. Because they did fuck. And it's like, why not continue it that way? You can kill it right there. And then even you have a little mini Michael that you could possibly use years down the line. And, and, you know, you can play with that. I think of it as like a TV series, how they have so much development, so much character development that you could keep it as an ongoing thing and have them cut and have periodical checks. So like, he so this little kid, this, this guy keeps going back to the asylum and checking on him and, and seeing if he's okay and, 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 and whatever. And we don't even have to touch any of these movies again. We don't really, we can just say names, give nods. It's all about uh, moving forward me, with the franchise me, anthology style. Michael was raped when he was in the institution by some crazy fucking mental patient who was there briefly. Who by the temple. No, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? One like, of the nicest guys, by the way. He easily do that, though. Like, while he was at the... Uh, I can't think of the institute's name right now, but... Um, Smith's Grove. Smith's Grove, yes. Um, he could have easily... Like, some bitch could have climbed up on him while he's chained down. Right. And like, ah, oh, you're Michael Myers. Right. Let me ride you. You know? <laughs> like, I mean, because obviously bitches are attracted to crazy in this franchise, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that she got pregnant. But, and then Michael My a little M- Mikey Myers is running around out there somewhere. Right there you he go. Michael so, Myers was his dad. But I think <laughs> what Craig said though, it goes back to my opinion of this franchise as a whole. Now I think that this is a one-off, maybe two-off, and then really stretching it, you can do like one, two, and then H two O. He comes back twenty years later or something, right? Yeah. But. There's not much to this story. And I think when they get into all the extra stuff with, you know, Jamie Lloyd being the killer and she kills a mom at the end of this one. And then you introduce Thorne and all these other crazy concepts. It doesn't feel right because that's not what it initially was. Initially, it was something simple and that's why it worked. So honestly, and I hate to say it because I do, I love the sequels, but I say leave it alone. It was... It was great. Let let time dictate a, a new horror legend. You know, 78, if you look in retrospect, it wasn't even that long ago. So, like from now on, we can have somebody let them let them have their day in the sun. I really do think there's not much story to tell. Or else you get all this extra stuff which we've been getting lately, which is social commentary, mobs all this other craziness, which, okay, it's fine, but I'd still rather a very simplistic story. And I was going to say, would that work today, right? That was my main thing. Would the 78 movie work today? But then I think of something like The Strangers, 
The Strangers is scary as fuck. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yes, of course you can. Of course you can do Halloween over. So honestly, if I had any true direction, I don't know if I'd go with that idea of it being Allison and Corey's kid. But (laughs) at the same time, I'd probably just do another reboot, start it over. I'd change a bunch of stuff and, and go a different angle, but I'd keep the essence of it the same and, and just try and put my own spin on it. A man in a monster. I'd put, I'd put Craig in my movie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, I got one question though. If, if you did that, if you guys, if, if Dan, if you were put in charge of rebooting Halloween, yeah. would Michael Myers be supernatural or just a man? Oh, just a man for sure. All right. Yeah. Lacey, same question. Uh, just a man. I never was a fan of the supernatural aspect. Okay. Like, uh, Curse of the Thorn is like my, it was my least favorite for a very long time. Okay. Well, in, uh, yeah, me too. I, boy, yeah. six. Um, in lieu of uh, answering that question, would you guys like to hear the uh, version of nine that I came up with after Resurrection, but before Rob Zombie got a hold of the franchise? I wrote a full Halloween nine script. What? I wanted to call it Resurrection, but I was mad. Eight took it. Yes, I, I wanted to do that. The framework for ten and eleven. So I had a trilogy in mind too. Did, did you wow. copyright this? I really wrote the entire script. Yeah, in no, full. No, no. Did you copyright it? Oh, uh, I did. I said I. I put it. Uh, it's in, in the, the Writers mail? Guild. Yeah, the whole nine yards. I'll tell you this. It, Whoever had it in the early 2000s, whoever had the rights, yeah, um, uh, Weinstein, Miramax, yeah, it was in the building. My script was in the building, but I'll tell you what, I want to kind of pitch the story to you, and then I'll tell you why my script never went anywhere. I made a mistake, but it shouldn't have been a mistake, but it was. Okay. But I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. But but here was my story. The film opens on a, a crane shot coming down over a marquee and it says tonight, uh, sneak preview, trick or treat. And so the conceit of my movie is Lori uh, dies in resurrection. Yep. Now that she's dead, um, to get money for the John, she lets the rights to her story, which have had eagle, you know, legal people watching for anybody to try to do anything with it yeah now it's it's been sold and the selling of it has provided money for john to disappear and go off and live a life and so now they these two cheap jack hollywood producers who i named um lee cushing and price carradine which are <laughs> horror legends in two names there um make this crappy halloween movie called trick-or-treat and the opening, the, the whole thing, it starts with um, the, the opening scene from Halloween, but it's played as a really cheaply made horror film. And it addresses the fact that they go upstairs for sex and he's coming down 30 seconds later. <laughs> and so I had him I had him saying, as he coming down the stairs? I'll try to last longer next time. And she <laughs> says, yeah, that would be great. And so it's got all this, you know, terrible dialogue. And um, and then it you cut around in the film, you're seeing some of this footage at the opening of the film. And the the final part of it is you see the ending of the film and she says, that really was the boogeyman in person. And Loomis says, yeah, you bet, that's exactly who it was. And you know, this terrible version of the dialogue. 
<laughs> and um, at the end of the teaser, now that you've gone through all of that footage, um, the producers are talking about, you know, how this is going to make a billion dollars and everything's going to be great. And the theater manager, um, they go into the theater after the screening, everybody has left. And there's somebody sitting slumped in one of the seats. And they go up and they're afraid that it's a dead guy. And they touch him. Oh, and I forgot that there was uh, one of the producers says something like, I really like how you stacked the deck and had Michael Myers go in there. And the other producer says, I didn't have Michael Myers go in there. You said it would be too liable to cause a, a you know, a, a riot. Right. So there's been a Michael Myers in the theater. So now they go in and there's a guy sitting slumped and they're like, oh, crap. And they go down there and they touch him and he just fell asleep in the movie. Ha ha. So he <laughs> wakes up and takes off. But then they see one seat back from that, the word sister carved into the back of the theater seat. Ooh. And that goes back to the footage that was added to the original film when it aired on NBC, where he wrote sister on the back of the door at Smith's wow. Grove. Yep. Yep. And so, and I'll go ahead and tell you in case I haven't communicated it with my terrible pitch, but um, <laughs> no, I love Michael it. Myers is now fixated on the actress who's playing Laurie as his uh -huh. sister. Oh. And so this whole film becomes about him stalking the actress playing Laurie in the film. She goes back to North Carolina from filming in California. Now he was out in California because at the end of Resurrection, that's where I assumed uh, all of that took place. Uh, H2O and Resurrection took place in California. Yep. He, um, he kills another bum, uh, sees Freddy. I had, I had Buster Rhymes show up on a news yes! program talking about, um, he, he and the actress are both on a news program talking about, she's pitching, you know, trying to get the film talked up for the release. And Freddie is, um, saying I've got a group and we're out trying to find Michael Myers because he's still out there. And, um, he's a killer shock. Exactly. And, um, <laughs> And she says, um, you know, I don't, th I, I think he's just trying to get people to come to his website. And he's, and he said, he says, uh, yeah, like you ain't trying to get asses in the theater seat. <laughs> and um, so they have this little to do back and forth. And then Please he says at the end, he says, well, you better watch out because he's still out there and he might just come up and ruin any sequel plans you got, something like that. And that's the end of that scene. So that's all that Freddie's in. It. It's just a little brief, but it was to tie it to eight. Right, so, right. Um, so she goes home to North Carolina. She lives on a in a compound, a walled compound that her father has, and on that is her grandma lives up the hill. Her great aunt lives down in, still within the wall, but down a ways, like a football field or two away. And there's a trailer for the handyman. And um, Michael shows up. I mean, I'll, I'll break this down, not go through scene by scene, but he does show up. He's after her. She sees him around town a couple of times, uh, causes a big mirror being carried to be broken because she sees him in the mirror for a second and freaks out and makes the guys drop the mirror. And, you know, it's psychological. You're trying to build up that stalky thing and trying to be creepy. Right. right. Yeah. And um, and then we see him. Um, the handyman finds a, <laughs> a tree that has been chopped down by a butcher knife. So however that would look, you know, it, it's not been chopped down by an axe. It's been chopped down by somebody just methodically over the course Stabbing. of days, perhaps, <laughs> chopped a tree down and got it up against the wall so he could go right up it like a ladder. And as oh. soon as he finds that, he pulls out a cell phone to call 911, feet drop down from the top of the tree, 
and Michael, and what we see is he swings the knife and then you see the cell phone fall in two pieces down because he had it up to his ear so he chopped his head in half and that's you know that was the kind of death scenes i was bringing to it right so michael then uh she's having a halloween party to celebrate being home from her big film debut um michael attacks uh and it it goes he kills her aunt who lives over there grandma's dead um all kinds of stalky scenes where she's walking around the compound at night we know michael's there on the property uh, at one point she goes in, she thinks she sees the handyman going into his trailer, but it's Michael because we already know the handyman's dead. He died earlier that day. And there's this great scene where she goes in and walks through the trailer looking for him and passes by the bathroom and goes in the back bedroom. And then when she comes back out of the bedroom, cause he's not in there, the back door is open because he was in the bathroom and he just walked out. He's not ready to kill her. It's not Halloween yet. Oh, right. Okay. So it's, you know, it's October 30th, so he won't kill her. So, uh, and then she goes back to the house. And at one point, the the door that you thought was locked isn't. And so you're pretty sure he's in the house, but he really isn't. He's still stalking around. But that was how it played out. And then um, at the end of that one, um, he does the same trick he did before. He, um, He puts, there's a kid that's trying to impress her. He wants to play Michael in the sequel. And he shows up at her house and gets in because of all the nonsense he's able to get in and he gets to the house just as Michael is ready to leave. And so Michael throws him out the back door as the cops show up, the cops shoot the shit out of this kid. He goes out the other door. So like a bitch framer. And they say that the kid was, it was all the kid the whole time. He was just, he wanted to impress you and wanted to play the character so bad. He became the character. We've stopped him. So that was, that's how you satisfactorily, why the authorities aren't going to look for him anymore. Right, they right. They have him. Yep. And you let him walk away, but it, it covers that whole thing about, like this one, if he just went away, why didn't they, why aren't they still pursuing him? Why aren't they trying to find him everywhere in town? Right. So that was how that ended. And then the sequel was going to be that her sister is the head of security at a Mall of America type thing, and they're doing an overnight inventory, and he shows up to kill her because it's another sister. Right. And at some point in, in the first film, he finds um, a photo album and finds pictures of the sister. And that's how he realizes. And there's enough there that he knows where to go. Yeah. And so the right. second film was going to be about him. And then the, the actress was going to have to come and help the sister. And it was going to become, that was going to be the whole thing overnight in a mall with Michael Myers stalking a group of kids there to do inventory at, at a store or something. Oh, I like that. You didn't add in Molly in any of this? <laughs> I Mom. did not. And then what the third are you film. Being Craig. I'm sorry, the third film was going to be shooting the sequel, uh, shooting the second film for the actress going back to play, you know, in Trick or Treat Two, and the real Michael was going to show up. Uh, I, I realized it was a little Scream Three ish, but it was going to be a little more about the mistake in like the stuntman wearing the outfit in the Trick or Treat movie and the real Michael. There was going to be a lot more confusion about who was who. That yeah. was mm-hmm. the conceit of that one. So that was my trilogy that I wanted to do. And then Rob Zombie got it and kind of ruined my idea. The reason <laughs> my script didn't go anywhere is because even though it made it into the Miramax building, I had enough connections to get it out there. Yeah. That opening scene with the terrible, terrible dialogue, I don't think anybody realized that it was supposed to be a bad movie within the movie. Right. right. They only read the first couple of pages and went, oh, my God, this guy writes dialogue for shit. Oh, oh man. And I, prob- I probably should have put a note on the front saying, you know, be aware this, this opening scene, it is a purposely bad version of the original Halloween. 
bear with it and get to the real, you know, get to the actual story after that, the opening sequence. Right. But I don't, you know, I didn't think to do that. So. Well, talking about bad dialogue, these people <laughs> are consistently known for that. And there is one line in this movie that just sticks out to me like a sword. Can I guess? Yeah. I hope you find love. Yes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say bad boys don't get custard for dessert. Or what? Or you did something messy. Yes. Like, you did something messy. What? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love how he slaps the knife out of his fucking hand. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, no, like that line of dialogue when he said, I hope you find love. Was it Rod or Ronald? Like, it was his stepdad. Yeah. Too. Or her, his mom's boyfriend. That right. Yeah. Um, but when that line happened, in the movie theater on first watch and then he says that line and all of a sudden it's like right after he says that it flashes october 31st i literally had the loudest wow like cackle in the theater (laughs) oh craig it it, was hilarious it trickled everybody else in the theater to start laughing the whole place erupted after you did yeah like it was so cringy well okay so (laughs) at this point though like, again, watching this for the first time was jarring. I thought, much like Craig thought, I thought this was a dream. I thought, what is happening? I can't believe they're doing certain things in this movie. So when that point hit, I hope you find love. And then you go, ah! <laughs> Like, that, that to me is what these movies are all about. Like right now, we're talking about good stuff. We're talking about a lot of bad stuff, but it's all about the experience. It's all about talking about them with your friends, watching them with your friends, experiencing it together, picking the parts, picking apart the parts that you like and dissecting the parts that you don't. And like like Craig just said, what we do different and all these different things that in that moment, I thought it was ridiculous, but I was like, I, and I was laughing my ass off. But man, I was having fun in that moment. <laughs> when you when you laughed like that, I was like, I'm having a blast. It might have been the fucking edibles as well, though. <laughs> I, I well, do. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to say the 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 part that took me out was uh, the actress playing Corey's mom. Yeah. Which you just mentioned, you know, the the dialogue with the custard, but yeah. Um, I, I I did understand, you know, was David Gordon Green not able to be there that day and somebody else was directing those scenes? Because why was that performance not controlled any better than that? Right. And, and what was with all the very accents in this? Oh, like, dude, right. They're very East Coast, like the the main Billy. or Terry. Billy, uh, His name is Terry, yeah, I think. Terry, I can't remember the kid's name. But it the, was the little cool. band geek in the bibs. Um, with the Letterman's jacket, like he sounded very mid, or he sounded very, uh, yeah, very East Coast. Yeah, this is like, did he move from New York? Like, see, I, like, that's what I figured, and I'm like, stuff like that can be kind of brushed off. Like, that's sure, stupid. But yeah. what about the mom? Like, right? Like, she had a very East Coast. He seemed like he was straight out of she, the mob too. She literally, his mom looked like Mary Sanderson from Hocus Pocus. She did. Kathleen, Jimmy, <laughs> or how do you yeah. say? That? Yeah, that's, no. I, I was like, is that her? Is that fucking Hocus Pocus? <laughs> yeah, but it's not her. But she definitely embodied her. But but like, okay, my my thing was this, and there's been a couple times during this podcast that Rob Zombie has been brought up. Yeah. 
Now, um, and Craig, I know you can speak to this, but this uh, this film was shot in the same town as Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, right? So that is is very odd because I was getting Halloween 2 vibes from this right. a lot. No more, though, to when I looked at that girl band geek and her big hair and her sweatpants. What was happening there? I'm so confused as to... Somebody saying, yeah, this is the look. You know what I mean? Like, well, how does that DJ happen? Or the radio host. Yeah, why is he dressed like in 70s? I can see going out, like, you know, you have your side gigs as radio DJs going out to the public. Yeah. But he was in the studio eating Chinese food. With Darcy. With a, with a big afro. Oh, yeah, from Darcy, from uh, Joe Bob. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. Um, But I, I do want to say this, though. That after the transference of evil or whatever the hell was going on with Corey, and after he killed the doctor and the nurse or whatever, which that scene was fine. I, I don't I think it kind of felt tacked on. But after we get to that and it's the actual killing of the bullies, I kind of love it and I kind of hate it. Like I I hate I don't I don't want to say maybe hate, but the bullies were just Obviously, we knew they were all going to die, right? Yeah. But I, I wanted more of that. Like like we said, you know, have him start the killing. and Well, two and out of the four were off screen. Two of them were off screen kills. I do love the shot of when he gets out of the truck and he's got the wrench. That's an amazing That's shot. Like that was a Halloween shot. Uh, he, he runs that one girl over on the fence. <laughs> and, but again... Talk about dialogue. Trying to help him. No, but talk about dialogue though. How bad was that? When we were just watching it, she goes, She's dead. And then under the fence, she goes, So are you. You're dead too. You're dead too. That's when again, Craig, I was like, is he dreaming this? Like this kid, you're dead too. You're under a fence, under a truck. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You're dead too. And she gets the worst death out of all. That's because she's got the life. worst hair and sweatpants ever. <laughs> what is that outfit though? Like, I'm so thrown off to like some decisions that were made in this movie. Let's, and that that's one that just irks me. Her hair was atrocious. Well, let's talk about the fact that these kids are in band. Like these i get what they were doing by this. like they're trying they were, to turn it around yeah like band geeks aren't geeks they're bullies right like what all he wanted was a 12 pack there were four of them that's three beers each don't you think he should have just bought him a fucking 12 pack he said a couple and, sixers instead like, of breaking his chalky milk breaking his chalky milk and throwing him off a bridge <laughs> like like again slashing his tire but but my whole thing with with the contrived aspect of this film is the fact that Lori shows up takes it to allison same bridge that uh allison got pulled over on and the same bridge that the cop gets taken under uh in, well or follows him into the uh you know drain pipe there it's just all contrived you're trying to tell me that one character this new character not only has something in common with with these two survivors, uh, you know, in that he he's kind of you know the, the scarlet letter of this town. Not only that, but you meet them both. She falls in love with him, and then he falls off of that same bridge where Michael Myers then drags him in a drain pipe. It j- 
Am I going crazy? Like that to me is is just lazy writing. Like it just seems so contrived. I thought that the scene introducing Tommy and Lindsay Wallace and the nurse there in Halloween Kills was bad in the bar. I was like, why are we learning of these characters uh, like in a bar and they're putting a spotlight on them? I was like, I don't love this. That is genius compared to what we get here. There's nothing going on. It's like Michael Myers is right down there underneath the bridge where you just fell off. What? Well, let's talk about underutilized characters here. Like and who? They bring back Lindsay Wallace yet again just to have her be like a terror. She was a no, bartender. No spring wearing <laughs> bartender. Um, oh. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I mean, literally, like, I think she was only there to, like, have a tarot reading. Of course, Allison gets the death card. And she's like, oh, I got the death card. And she was like, death just means the end of a phase and the beginning of a new one. Like, all right. We no, Allison, that means you're going to die. Theory. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. But no, actually, like, Allison wasn't, like, ever at stake in this movie. Like, there was no. Ever in peril. She was never in danger. Yeah, because, right. Right. You know, because obviously if she can't, if I can't have her, no one will. Well, we both thought, and I'm sure you did as well, Craig, we're like, all right, little Lindsay Wallace made it out of the uh, Halloween Kills. She's probably going to die in the next one. Didn't you think that, Craig? Or Yeah, we even talked about that last year. I remember. Yep. Yep. So Um, how disappointing, right? Like nothing to do with Michael at all. Like I, I get what they're saying is that he's just a man one of the great he was never after them per se one of the great things though is when she's like allison you can date whoever you want like oh, okay Jesus. but then in that same scene he just wiles out and then he goes over to the bar to grab a beer and he sees the mother of the kid now <laughs> this is a great scene because Lacey Lou pointed out she's wearing the same fucking dress that she wore that night that her kid three died. years ago yeah the same did exact that, same dress, same oh, hair. Is she yes. No, I did not. Okay. So clearly, they only had this actress for like one night. Don't you think she would have gotten blood on it from her like, child? Well, why are you wearing the same costume? Same hair. Like, I mean, like, I, grief does crazy things. I guess. Did they have her for like a day or two? That's and, what I'm thinking. Like they, you know. But that, they, but they could have changed her wardrobe. Absolutely. They could have made her look like shit, like she was getting wasted and and all this stuff because they clearly want to bet i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out there what do you want to bet when we see the extended cut or the deleted scenes on the blu-ray there will be another scene with her and it will explain that she's been wearing that same costume every halloween since Ah, she died yep you know what she goes to the bar and gets plastered right right which you know you can say that's not really all that much better but it wasn't (laughs) to to explain why that happened right um that feels like that to me See, this a lot of the problems that you guys are having with it. I mean, the section that we're talking about right now with the contrivances would all be somewhat explained if they made Haddonfield the size of a town that I think it should have been. Right. Because I'm in my totally. hometown, you know, there there was two laundromats. There were basically two of everything. Right. There were a few bars, but you know, there would have been much more chance that you would be running across each other. There would have only been one railroad bridge. There was one that leads out of town kind of thing. Um, right. So had they just not decided to expand Haddonfield out to this small city, I think some of that would have not worked so badly as it seems to now. Right. I agree. I totally agree. 
Um, you know, one of my <laughs> another funny scene that I love talking about dialogue. I just I cracked up even harder this time is when Lindsay Lori uh, comes into the bar talking to Lindsay and she's talking about <laughs> how she sees Corey and she saw the same look in Michael's eyes. She's like, you should talk to somebody. And it's the dad playing pool. Now, I forget <laughs> the exact line, but he's like, yeah, so, you know, my wife, I was like, I'm going to prove her wrong and, and you know, talk, forgiveness. talk to this kid. But I, when I looked at him, man, <laughs> like it, the line was, I don't know, man, something about him. Like it was so bad that that was the part that I started laughing. And I was like, well, he pulls up to him on the side of the road. And then he just dips. And Corey just like peers into the car and he's like, no eyes. There was something different about him. This kid used to mow my lawn. I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know, man. There was something evil. And then he just drove off. I don't know what it is about that fucking scene, but it's just hilarious. Yeah. there's like too much of like it's so funny though like, like i i get it like the whole point is that the town drove this kid mad after what happened well okay so let's like, talk about no this really it's nurture versus nature that's yeah, what's happening yeah. here and it's the whole reason why Lori and allison are having a, a power struggle because allison should be listening to her grandmother because in the first in 20 in 2018, when she was calling her grandmother, oh, she didn't do that in this one, did she? No, and That's her good. name and her phone was actually Lori. Was like, it? If you notice that. Oh, no shit. Yeah, and then, like, literally, Corey's known them for, like, all of two days, and he's like, your grandmother's just trying to make you her child because your parents were killed. Like, what? What? Well, you know, like, yeah. shut the fuck up, Corey. You don't know me. Like, who like, are that you? Would be me. That would be my reaction. Right. But apparently Allison is so damaged. Well, so here's the thing, though. So she should have listened to her the first time when she was like, you know, paranoid and like, you know, oh, my mother, my grandmother's kind of crazy and she's always on the lookout for Michael or whatever. Now she's doing it again. And she's like, oh, what, you're paranoid? Like she's doing it again to you her. for death. Yeah, she, like anywhere. And so she's doing the same thing. But bitch, Michael, Mike, Michael Myers showed up and tried to kill you. Like. She was right. Like the the whole he was after her, she was wrong. But nonetheless, whether Sartain and or however it happened, he was still ended up at their door. So technically she's right. So point worry and Allison, you should probably shut the fuck up yeah. and control your hormones and uh not to mention in kills yes Lori as we mentioned is on the sidelines Allison willingly wants to go look for Michael herself right so the it, this arc right. of this back and forth of her just want, like both the characters do that like, they, they go back and forth it's so between... weird like it's not cohesive at all it, it doesn't okay so I try and play it out in my head like well all right, so Lori got sober. She went to a therapist and, and all these- I don't these... think that bitch ever got sober. No? Like, I mean, nobody just bakes pie like that and forgets. <laughs> she was busy. It's a Halloween tradition. It was just so weird, all of it. The whole movie was weird to me, but it, whatever. Let's let's kind of, the, the bully part, I dug. I dug that because he's killing people. He goes to the radio DJ. That was a fun little scene. I truly think, and that's so great that you mentioned that you had that line uh, earlier, Craig, uh, with it having to do with a radio station, because I've always just been the biggest fan 
of radio stations in horror movies. And actually, that's how this movie starts off. It starts off with the radio in the back with the universal thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is perfect. That is essentially like one of the main things that I want in in my in not only Halloween, but not not just specific to Halloween, but horror movies in general. We talked about like Tara Reid, even in Urban Legend. It's just a fun setup. And there's so much I feel like you can do with that, that when he grabbed his tongue and cut it off. And and like you pointed out, I didn't even notice, but his tongue was on the record, and that's what causing it to skip. Yes, no. I was like, oh man, this is okay. I wish there was more of that. Yeah, like I just I just wish that that was more the movie, not so much like here. I need your mask, and let me fucking rumble with you in the sewer for a minute and get your mask. Like I, what? I got a question for you guys. Yeah. So it's been forty four years, right? Do we honestly care if Lori has a fucking happy ending at this point? Oh, I don't care. Craig? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, yeah, I do. I want her to have a happy ending. Um, if, if she's done with the films, which, you know, she certainly seems to be, um, I mean, what, what ending would you want for her? Just That's all they got the middle? Um, I think honestly, like they both should have died, but um, I I don't know. Like I feel like that would have been more of like a dark tone, and I I, I think maybe the off putting part uh was Hawkins. Like I feel like he was very shoehorned in and like made to seem like he had a bigger role from seventy eight, and he wasn't there, so I don't appreciate his character for me. In this but, one, no, it was very odd. Yeah. No, no, no. Just like his character in any of these three films, right. like it, they're making it seem like he was there that night. I always um, thought you had a thing for Ben Tramer. What? Where was Ben Tramer yes! in this? I like bullshit. So like Ben bullshit. Tramer should have been in one of three of these films like aside from just that mention right but um no i feel like he was just an added character that that i didn't ever care about period like they try to make you care about this character and i just don't and then i don't know what happened between 2018 to 2022 obviously four years later but he aged so fucking much yeah he did not like i don't know if he had prosthetics on but he was like I like looking at your face too. And then he just like, kind of like, <laughs> was like I want to, I want to see those cherry blossoms. Like, like my like, favorite, my favorite though, was when she's talking to the other lady. Yeah. And she's like, look what you did. And then in the background, he just goes, Lori. <laughs> what are you, you doing? Like, this is so odd. Like, it just seems so out of no, place. Like, um, like, I get it. They wanted, like, I feel like he was only brought in to, like, have a love interest for her because she was always awkward in the original. Like, she was very shy and, like, right. But clearly, like, she, you had know what? A I didn't daughter, think about that. But clearly, she had a daughter. She's been so with she's fucked. Before. Like, clearly, well, <laughs> I mean, she's obviously has alcohol tendencies and right. that probably makes her a little bit more secrecy. But, wow. um, sorry, it happens. Um, but I mean, like, I just don't believe that this is like, as you know, we talked about earlier, it's this is the character that has been through so many changes or throughout so much trauma through six films. Well, right. As opposed to just one. Well, if you break it down, I mean, look, you got several options and they've pretty much gone down all of the roads where 
One option is, um, you know, she comes back, chops his head off, boom, like perfect. banger of an ender ending. I think that was perfect. Uh, and then you get she comes back in the next one. She dies in the in the open in the opener, right? Okay, but also though it does leave. Ah, uh, well, I guess several. You're right. They both could kill each other at the same time, or. Give her the happy ending. And I honestly think that Jamie Lee Curtis is at, at a place where that's what she wanted. And I think they did achieve that in this movie. I will say that if you go through all that trauma, no matter where you're at, at the end of this movie, I don't think that you'd be that brazen to just keep the mask on your fucking living room table like she did. At the ending of this film. I mean, that's the ending shot. Correct. Yeah. It's a little too much. Like, I get it. I get it. Like, oh, you're free now. All these bright lights shining through the fucking house. Screen three-ish when the door opens. I'm pretty sure. Like, but but also, too, I'm like, they would take that for evidence. But then you think of, well, no, they just threw this guy into like a meat grinder type thing or a, what what do they call it? Like a, one of those things. So, whatever. Yeah, car crush thing. Yeah. Crazy. Like. And where don the mask in the next one, if there is one. Also, did they <laughs> did they have Corey work as a mechanic just to don the yes. old Yeah. Yeah, I, I fully believe that that yep. was to get him into that jumpsuit. Yeah, absolutely. Easy, right? Yeah. Well, that, and I feel like every every film in the franchise was represented in these three films. Yep. Like, and I, I know yeah. we broke down the others, but I mean, there was, uh, like, the bathroom stall was very H2O mm-hmm. in the first one. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. You know, the, the flamethrower, this one did have a lot of part five in it, but, like, the the, the torch of when he... You said part five? Part that? five, I believe. Uh, I believe it was, um, what's her... Uh, the deuce why bag, can I not right? think of her boyfriend? I, I think his name was Nick. Mike. Was it Mike? Mikey. Uh, Mike, Mikey, Mikey in part five? Yeah. Uh, what was her name? I can't think. But of I thought Everybody that he got her. beat. I thought he got beat with something. No, I be- doesn't he get torched in five? I don't think like, so. Yeah, I I believe he puts a torch in his mouth. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that happens in five. But obviously, like <laughs> the sewer sequence is obviously another nod to five uh, with the homeless man or resurrection and, as know. well when he lived in the sewer. Yeah. Um, rats. The, the 70s aesthetic definitely has the Rob Zombie vibes. Also, I feel like Allison is definitely embodying Scout Taylor Compton at some points in this film. Which, I, okay, so I think her as an actress, I think she did a pretty good job in this. The only problem was her story arc sucked. Well, her story with him and all, like they just, it, I guess it has to make sense, right, to me for all, for her to be making the decisions that she's making and since they didn't make too much sense to me i just couldn't buy it dude i tried like i'm not a negative person where i'm trying to hate again i went in with open arms and i was like this is a halloween movie even with everything happening i'll be honest with you i don't hate this movie i like a lot of the stuff in this movie actually i as a cohesive film from front to back though it just doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. Will what it, they were setting. Will it deter me from seeing the next one? Absolutely not. <laughs> but um, I also, I got to say this, that, you know, getting back into people's opinions on this, right? Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I really wanted to dive into. Now, Craig, I don't know if you see this, if you 
have any interactions with people on this front or or how this kind of goes down for you. Uh, for me personally, whenever I get into debating films and stuff like that, I always want to make sure that, you know, you're not being too rude. You, you, you say your piece and then that's that. But unfortunately, in the day of the Internet, uh, you know, these days, everyone just chops each other down and, and low blows. And, and, and a lot of the times, too, <clears throat> I find that there's a lot of lazy arguments from people. There's a lot of people that you say, oh, it. yeah, well, your favorite H2O. Well, yeah, I bet you like that CGI mask, too. Like, come on. Can we all just get to a place where we're not going to take stupid little jabs like that? Clearly, I think that shot's stupid as fuck. Right. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, right. Did you see any amount of love or, more importantly, any amount of hate for this movie? What are you seeing more of? Yeah, what, like, where do you stand on that? Do you think that people have gone overboard with it? Because um, this is by far one of the most divisive Halloween movies ever that made. That happens every time. Right. <laughs> they get 75, 80 hate, and then, you know, whatever remains. Yeah. 20, 25 uh, liked. Um, I just a lot of people hate. just, and I have, I see people saying this argument, and it's, you have to believe it. The fans will say, don't you dare make the same movie because that's dumb. Right. Give us something new. But those same fans will say, well, my God, what was this? That wasn't Halloween. Where was Michael Myers? Well, they were trying to give you something new, you know, which you said two years ago, that's what you want. Right. But you don't want it. And so, you know, you're never going to satisfy everybody. Um, everything under the sun, it's somebody's favorite and somebody's, you know, least favorite. So I think this one has divided people a lot. I think it's right up there. It's, it's funny because it's a 2022 version of what happened in 82 when Silver Shamrock replaced Michael Myers. Right. Um, because that's the same thing was happening. We just didn't have all the interaction with social media. Right. But, but, but you would talk to your friends at school and, you know, the jock guy would hear you say it and he'd go, I saw that movie. That was stupid. It didn't have Michael Myers in it. And, you know, <laughs> Yeah, and you you try to explain. Well, they want to do a different thing. I don't care about that. I just want to see Mark Myers cut the girls up. <laughs> okay, well, wait. You know, wait six years. You'll you'll get your chance. You'll get plenty back. Right. But um, yeah, I I, I don't I, know. I, I for all the problems that I have to acknowledge, you guys are absolutely right. Um, I still feel like this was probably a better idea in terms of just trying to do something different yep. for a 13th film than literally another just, you know, Michael Myers has got that mask on and here he comes again. Right. Um, right. You've got to figure out something different. That's another reason I like the Friday movies. You can, I mean, you can say they're dumb as crap. <laughs> he goes to space, but right. at that point he needed to go to space. There was nowhere else for him to go. Right. Right. You know? And the other thing that's clever about him going to space is Adam Marcus, I think that's who made that. Yeah. No, that's the guy who made Nine. No, uh, it was uh, Todd uh, Jim. Wrote it. Jim something. Well, I know Todd Farmer wrote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Todd Farmer wrote, right. Yeah. Those guys were told by Sean Cunningham, I'll, we need to keep Mike uh, Jason in the public eye, but we can't do anything 
for the development hell that J Freddy versus Jason is in right now, we can't do anything with Jason now. So you could do something with him, but you got to get him out. You know, it can't be set in 2001 or 1997 or whenever that was. So they went 400 years in the future and tell a story of him going to space. And I thought it was brilliant. How, how else can you tell a story of that character and not interfere with Freddy versus Jason? And sure enough, they did it. Right. Right. And and that's also another reason why at the end of Freddy versus Jason, I don't care if Freddie winks at me. Jason won because he's still around 400 years from now. <laughs> ah, good point. I, I, I believe that Freddie won. Oh, God. Here I we mean, go. he exists in dreams. Like, it doesn't matter. But no, well, I, that's true, too. But but the point of that is, is, um, you know, I, I told you guys last year, I love sequels. You can make them till the cow comes home. If the sequel is entertaining. Agreed. Then I'm good. I don't automatically crap on a sequel. My God, how many of these are you going to make? I'm never going to say that. You made a valiant effort at it. I'll give it a shot. You mess up as bad as Rob Zombie. I'm going to call you on it. My biggest problem with Rob Zombie's movie is he doesn't like the supernatural. He has Laurie sitting on his chest at the end of the first movie, and she shoots him in the forehead with a 300 with a 357 Magnum right. through a layer of latex. Right. And in the next film, there is no explanation for how Michael survived that. None. He right. pulls a magic act with the first half hour being that fake sequence in the hospital right. with a magic right. cow that the truck hits, the ambulance hits, and somehow that wakes Michael up. But that's in the dream. And then right. the next thing we know, no, that didn't happen. Oh, and Michael's just walking around town, maskless and talking. And But, but you, you pointedly made it so they couldn't make a sequel in your non-supernatural version of this story. Right. And then you went supernatural. And that's that I that I want to just go and poke him in the eye for. Stop it. <laughs> no, you know? well, my Craig, don't my poke take, Rob Zombie in the my eye. My take on H2 was actually that Michael was never actually there and it was actually her that was the, the killer the entire time. What? Well, how do you explain them in the shack at the end with him mask off again talking? Right. Is that all just I, in her mind? I think that's in her head. Oh, okay. Because well, if, but, like, know. when when all the cops come at the end, it's just her there. Like, where is he? Oh, that's an interesting point. I'm now you almost make me want to watch it again. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. No, my my biggest <laughs> thing, my biggest thing with people being vocal about this movie, especially now because it just came yeah. out, is so many people took positions on it without even seeing it. I've never in my life seen more people say this. They were like, "Well." It seems like everybody's going to hate it because they did something different. That means I'm going to love it. And every single one of those people, because I've been paying attention, every one of those came back and said, it was right. I absolutely love it. This is the best in the franchise yeah. right under, you know, number one and number two, whatever. Um, and so so I, I think that when I get into the debates with people and stuff like that, I just want people to somewhat explain themselves especially when it's just typing like that explain why you think that because i feel like it's such a flimsy argument or people don't even really have arguments they just want to be contradictory that's what i think they just want to be on the they other side of it <laughs> and be like i loved it because it was weird and, and stuff like that and that's why that's why a lot of people on the internet, you got to look at, at, at who it is and take it with a grain of salt, which is why I really was excited to work, work with, <laughs> to record with Craig tonight, yeah. 
because you are so specific as to why you love everything. And even though we're talking a bunch of shit on it and stuff like that, that's why I love you because you're, you're, you're not, you're like, yeah, no, I get that. But I, I still love it though. That's that. That's just my opinion. He liked it. He didn't love it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You like it. And I actually don't think that we're all that far off. I think that the things that we probably differ on there are certain degrees in which you know i i feel like that is a is a factor that's going to change things so like so it's not necessarily the whole movie or whatever but it's just certain aspects certain choices that they made that if i felt differently about those choices could completely change the trajectory of my review of it completely completely well i feel like the reason that a lot of disappointment happened for a lot of people and somewhat myself included was the promise of this big showdown. It was supposed to be the final chapter. I mean that, you know, Jimmy Lee Curtis overhyped the fuck out of like the ending, but then like she did an article, the ending's going to piss people off. Like, no, the whole movie's going to piss people off. Jimmy Lee Curtis kind of pisses me off. Like, I, I get I it. I share a birthday with I her. know, and I'm sorry for saying this to everybody, but listen, she gets out there, and I know she's, like, very proud to be a... a Final girl? Yeah, like, and you know what? That is awesome. But at the same time, I think she overhypes things uh, between her and David Gordon Green going out there and saying certain things about this film. Yeah, it's a concluding chapter. If you, you know, if you didn't like to... We're bringing it back to the original type of stuff and nobody's going to say, and that is not what they did at all. So I'm just trying to still process where this falls in line in terms of a trilogy. I think it's such an odd way to go, but then again, it is very different. So maybe it's kind of the only way to go kind of do a side story and have them come in at the very end just to basically fucking die. (laughs) That's what he did. That's what he did. He kind of just waited around and then he was like, let me get one more stab at Lori. And then, um, oh, by the way, I love how Lori had all these fucking traps in her other house. And then in this one, she just stabs him to the table and throws a fucking fridge on him. (laughs) I love that. Well, we got to talk about Corey. Um, Like, so she obviously knew that was, did she know that Corey was coming for her? Because, I mean, she met him up at the house. Yes. Yes. Yeah, she absolutely did. That's why she, that whole thing with the calling the police to say, report the suicide, that was all a put up job. She knew he was in the house already. Yep. 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 And she, and she blew the pumpkin pumpkin. guts out. I thought that was really smart. I like that. But um, also, too, like with that whole sequence, what I was trying to figure out was the burning of the tower obviously obviously done by him, but was it to keep the cops away? Well, like so in uh, Halloween Kills, it was Evil Dies Tonight, and this one it's Burn It All Down. Right, and- it's true, but I think I think. You may be on to something there, Dan, and it, it, this may also yet be yet another extended cut deleted scene yeah. where that gets further explained somehow. Uh, and, you know, they cut any anything now. They try to cut anything that doesn't move the story forward. But sometimes right. those little details would help. And so right. sometimes the extended cut works better in some cases. So I think that could be the case here, too. But, yes, well, I do believe 
I don't think that fire happened. I don't think you get that whole tower going up um, because, uh, you know, a record's jumping on a tongue. I don't think right. you know, there was well, nothing that says- would have prompted that place to burn down from that. So he must have set that fire. And, and he said certainly he- that's going to draw all your authorities right in that direction and keep right. them away from that house, even if she calls, you know, they're yes. split. So I think that is absolutely something he did, which is, you know, what you could have with a new guy wearing that mask, pretending to be Michael Myers, is somebody who is that methodical in planning. And, you know, if they hadn't killed him, had he become the new Michael Myers to go forward, you right. could have had that level of, of, of manipulation Intelligence. and stuff where he's not just a mindless, the shark coming towards right. the knife. So, but he's going to set things up so that he yes. can get, you know. Well, he mentions burning down the tower when they're on top of the radio station, him and Allison. Yeah. Like, he's like, I don't have much whatever for mortality. And he's trying to be this badass or whatever and stuff like that. But I think that's an interesting thing again, going back to was he evil all along or was he evil when Michael grabbed him? Because again, Lori didn't see a problem with him before, but she did after he met Michael, right? And then after, though, after she talked to her with his dad. Well, when he's killing, dad. when he's killing those two people, uh, the the, the lady nurse, and the nurse the and the doctor, right? He's got a mask on. He's clearly well in his mind. He's pissed off. He's trying to get to him, so he's making a clear decision to kill. So and then he goes and fucks Allison. So is he? <laughs> so right. So he's clearly like. So is this him? Is this Michael that when they touched was evil transferred? I'm still trying to really pinpoint this because I know it is nature versus nurture because that's why you give him that shitty mom. That's why you give him uh, being bullied all the time. So was he forced into this or was it a situation where we are dealing with something paranormal and when Michael grabbed him, that's why A, he didn't kill him, and B, that's why he was like, oh, he's got fucking the same eyes I do. Go get him, son. <laughs> well, one of the things that bothered me is like right before the uh, radio DJ dies, yes, um, he gets a caller and she was like, there are three people out there missing right now. Right. Uh, if there were three people like actively missing and it's Halloween weekend and it's this small of a town, it would have been shut down. Well, and it they also had that missing poster up, that yeah, big billboard. But it's missing since 2018. Oh, okay. It did say that. Um, but I mean, if so, what did they do with the bodies, like of the doctor and the, you know, obviously the cop is missing. A cop is missing, and that's not more widespread, right? Like if that's if that's the three people that they were referring. Uh, to. he was off duty though. But it's a cop that's missing. Well, so I thought that the missing billboard was one of those people that they were talking about that. No, it said 2018. Yeah, I know. But he said the homeless guy said he's been dragging people in there. Yeah, but on the radio when the chick is calling and the I know DJ that. ends up hanging up on her. That's uh, yeah, I just yeah. mean that. Yeah, oh, I'm not yeah. talking about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just assumed because that billboard is on the bridge. Yeah, the on people, the bridge. Right underneath. That's where he's taking them. Yeah, like don't you think this is a little contrived? It's, it's all true, right like, there. Not, like, what has he been eating? Rats? Rats, and then I think people though. I don't think he so brings think, them down so there just you think to he kill. Him a cannibal? Like, if killing gives him his power, 
Like, I, you saw the power charge. Well, then that means he's either killing them, and then what's he doing with the bodies? We don't know. So I'm assuming to stay alive, since he's a real dude, he's eating them, right? How else would he get food? But then again, we saw him just walking outside. Like, yeah, <laughs> he he could have went to out. the store. Yeah, it makes zero sense. But, like, they would know what he looked like. But obviously not, because then it goes back to Halloween Kills, and they thought that that other guy was Michael. Right. So, like, nobody knows what he looks like. But So, I, I gotta ask, though, Craig, what do you think? Do you think it was a transference of evil? Do you think that it, he was made this way by being bullied? How do you think that actually all transpired into the ending when he goes full-on fucking psycho? I don't think any of it was communicated completely. And I think that you could have, you could have done that. Yep. If they had stuck around for whatever kind of a trial inquest, whatever it was after the kid died and you see how the town treats him. But then I don't know that he would have been able to produce the likability that drew Jamie Laurie to take him, you know, to the thing. He would have already been dark because he would have been poisoned by the right. evil of the town being mean to him for an accident. So you could have gone down that route and then meeting Michael was just the final linchpin that pushed him over the edge. And then he, you know, he starts killing people full on. Um, so that's one way you could have handled it. You could well say that it's the transference, but at that point you need to establish going back to how did he survive six shots? Right. You need to have established that supernatural element somewhere back before halfway through this last film. Yes. And and you need to be clear about it. I don't mean you need to stop the film and have somebody in a bookstore open a giant tome and start reading about it. No, but just do something to say, okay, we're not going to explain what it is, but there is something that isn't human about him. Right. Somehow. Halloween energy, Sawin, you know, the, the thing that was written on the board that didn't happen now in two, um, which ties in with the novel of the original film which was brilliant, by the way. Um, I, I wish they would have done that. That would have made it even more clear-cut because I would like to know what was in their heads as to why this kid goes the way he goes. The put-upon loser going and snapping is is fine. Um, but yeah, if, it, if it's got a supernatural element, spell that out just a little bit more than you did, um, which also... You know, after the second film said he wasn't coming after Lori, right. he was just trying to get home. Yeah. Then, you know, why, what is it about, why does he show up at her house? What is it? Is he after his mask? I think so. Well, yeah. I That's mean, what they did twice now. We, we talked Judy about Judy Greer took it and yeah. then yeah. Now he took well, it. Well, and if I you, think he if, just if, wants if, his fucking mask. Well, if you go back to 2018, the opening sequence, when the podcasters come is he's holding up the mask right like so it literally the mask is what fuels him like that's what gives him his power i don't necessarily it sounds so fucking yeah, but he's wearing it and he's decrepit so it doesn't make sense like glory also says though when she's talking to him right yeah. so when he wakes up in that house to where the kid fell yeah he's like crashing there and Lori's just sitting there in the fucking chair yeah she says a line where, you know, some people born evil mm -hmm. and then some people are poisoned with it, but they're the more dangerous ones because they don't know they're poisoned. Yeah. So again, you can apply that to, well, did Michael, like Craig said, was, was that the tipping point for him? Was he already have a propensity for evil 
things. And yet, obviously, he was a good person. But that, but then it's, I don't understand. Like, they could have easily achieved that by, like, having the bullies attack him and he accidentally kills a bully. The homeless guy was like, whatever. He was crazy. Kill a bully or something. And then all of a sudden, he starts to slowly turn and then his mom comes home and starts beating them and says, you're not getting any fucking custard or something. Like, there's other ways that you could set him off and and I mean, see see fun. more of a progression. And then I that's why I tend to think, was it just Michael? Like, hey, I'm going to touch you. And there you go, buddy. Bring back my mask, please. Well, maybe he seemed like Michael in that moment as well. You know, what he asked Allison, he was like, hey, I got a question for you. Did Michael let you go or did you escape? Right. You know, so he was genuinely curious and she's like, well, my mom saved me. Oh, that's right. Okay. You know, so, I mean, I think that's a huge plot point. And that was something that we thought was going to happen with Lonnie um, right. in the last film because he did let Lonnie go and in Halloween Kills, right? right. Like yeah. when they showed that flashback scene uh-huh. and we thought that Lonnie was going to be basically what Corey is. See, that's what I thought. I thought he was going to be somewhat of an accomplice. Yeah, and instead we get it with Corey instead of Lonnie, which it would have made more sense for Lonnie, in my opinion. Listen, but- I'm not, no, I'm not a fucking smart dude. I am not, but I can come up with something better than what they gave us in terms of what we're talking about now. Right. He could have been an accomplice. They could have done this. Uh, dude, I don't even want to get into they it. They could have been could, Ben fucking Tramer. Be, bring Benny Tramer back. Who can like, but there were so many different things that I thought it was going to go. So obviously, again, I have to temper my expectations and, and take a step back and look at the film for, for what, it, what is. it is. And, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. And I know my opinion has changed because I watched it again. It, it's it's big. It's big because you're able to flesh out your thoughts and really come to a place of peace. <laughs> I'm at a place of peace because do I think it's an abomination of the franchise? No. Do I think it's pretty cool what they did actually in some aspects? Fuck yeah. I love that opening scene. I loved when he fucking killed the bullies and when he went to the radio station and shit was going down, popping off. I thought that was great. I thought the funeral procession with Michael, as bad as I hated the mob in Halloween Kills, it was kind of emotional seeing that those cars. That's what I'm saying. And putting them in there. Extremely cathartic to where I think that's really what they were going for. And I'm like, on first watch, I'm like, all right, I still would have preferred you just chopping his fucking head off. But that was kind of cool, I guess. But the emotion behind that in terms of like, you know, uh, of moving on and saying like, uh, you know, evil and, and how evil doesn't die. It just changes or I forget exactly how she words it. Um, it's it's hopeful. And yet it's not at the same time, because what it's really saying is the town people, what they were finding out about Corey, they should have crushed Corey's ass, too, in that fucking thing. Like, why didn't they? It it makes perfect sense. Like, if he's if he's rolling with Michael and and he even exhibits one percent of the traits that Michael does, throw him in the grinder. Right. Like what? So what they were saying basically is like evil does not die. It just changes from evil rides tonight. (laughs) No, like, 
I have to say, like, when it comes to the ending, though, with Corey, like, God, he was like, and he, the the thing that just like pisses me off the most, like there are things that I, I do really like about this movie, but there are things that I really hate as well, uh-huh. which one of those things is the end of kills, like fucking Tommy Doyle and the, the mob of the people and they couldn't take him down. Like they're like literally beating the shit out of him. Like he, he, so he you're thinking he's supernatural. He gets up and he kills everyone. Right. Yeah. Like he like murks them all. And then in this, he's easily gets his mask taken from Corey. A fucking little kid, basically. A scrawny door. Yeah, who never had any power. And all of a sudden, like, so, like, it makes zero sense. And that's something that I I just can't get behind or wrap my head around. But I would like to say that uh, last year when we talked about kills, we talked about how you know, Michael was sent to the institution when he was like just a little boy, right? right? So when he comes out, he still like kind of has that little boy mentality because he's never had sure. like that real world, real life experience, right? So I believe he's like, hey, he took my mask. So it's like, that, that simple. But, yeah, I think it is that simple. Uh, it's like, it's the it's the two reasons to get him to where we needed him to be, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. And you know why? This is how much Michael doesn't care. He went to Lori's house and was standing behind the tree and saw her. Right. And he was like, oh, that fucking bitch cut my fingers off. Oh, well. I can't just, and then off on another adventure. He didn't try and kill her there. He probably figured I'm too weak to do that now. But he was never after her. Yeah. But, un- but, yeah. but then again. But now his mask is inside her house. He's got his mask back. He puts it on. He's like, well, since I'm here. Right. <laughs> I might as well kill this bitch. And that's where we get our big ending. Well, I do want to say the one scene, though, when with Corey and Lori. Lori on the stairs. Corey and Lori. Corey and Lori. That's so stupid. Uh, I do, <laughs> I do think that that scene was pretty shocking. Didn't know where that was gonna go. Yeah. When Allison's rolling up, you can't have me. And I now I believe she called in a suicide, but I believe that she wanted Corey to almost either kill her or attack her because she believed that would be the only way that Allison could really see that but this she guy's the evil. Cops are going to catch right doing it, but. What happened is is a big twist, and Corey's like, "If I can't have her, and then blip, fucking knife After right." After four days, I didn't see that coming. Did you guys? That was a pretty shocking scene. I thought. Yeah. I thought he was going to go after Allison. I thought. Yeah. The standard issue: if if I can't have her, nobody can. Meaning he's going to kill her. Right. So yeah, I was surprised too by that, but it but it also makes sense because he knew that right. Allison would pull away from her, and so she can't have her. Yep. I thought for a second Allison was going to go after Lori. For a second. Well, I thought, you know, it was going to definitely turn into some Bonnie and Clyde shit. Yeah. I mean, we have like the David Starr Lost Boys montage. Right. Right. Oh, that's what. Yeah. See, that's the shit that really threw me off. I was like, is this a fucking dream? Like, I don't care about the love story shit whatsoever. I hated it. Like, I mean, just because, like, the only reason I don't care about it is because it was introduced in the ninth hour, or like, is it is that the right phrase? In the, the midnight hour. hour, and like eleventh hour, the eleventh hour. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, it just didn't make any sense, <laughs> right? Um, for the time frame of them to 
develop these deep this deep meaningful connection like within that time frame like i mean i guess they're so broken maybe i don't know trauma well i guess whatever can can i say something real quick sure i saw an interview with david gordon green and he was saying that there were four writers on this him daniel mcbride two other people i'm not familiar right well four writers so i don't i don't know how that normally works anyways but he basically said that the exercise was this, that they get to a place in the script and it was like a, much like this franchise has been over the years, it becomes a choose your own adventure. So one person writes this way, one person goes this way, one person goes this way. And while I think that the movie is very daring and it does take a lot of risks, I don't think it necessarily makes for the most cohesive film, especially the end of a Halloween trilogy. With that said, I do think that it's merits and it's, you know, swinging for the fences. I can appreciate it. I can dig on a lot, a lot of this movie, actually. This is not going to be a movie that I automatically go to. It's not as fun. I'll probably, though... I'll probably give this trilogy a, a watch every year. I, I was debating on it, but I don't I don't hate these movies. Every single one has redeeming qualities, probably kills the less qualities that I like out of all of them. But 2018 has that one shot of him going through the neighborhood to which even just the thought, it gives me goosebumps. And then in this one, it it's so wild that it's it's almost hard to talk about in terms of it just being like a regular Halloween film. There's so many liberties that they take. There's so many wild ass directions that they take that at the end of the day, I'm like, damn, I kind of feel like I felt at the end of H2. Like, well, that was fucking shocking. And I guess at the end of the day, that's kind of what you want, right? Like you want to kind of feel like a little taken back and again, I don't think everything worked, and I don't think I'm ever gonna feel that way. But I do appreciate. Right? But I do appreciate what they did with it, and my my rating for it did go did go up um, after the first watch. Okay, well, I want to talk about the big showdown, three minute showdown that we have. The, three, the whole three minutes literally like little know, lackluster he, he was like a two minute man i guess in this wow um, two pump chunk. all right so what do you think like did you need more out of this showdown between Lori and michael craig if if you were going to have more it needed to happen earlier because the film was pushing two hours right and so <laughs> You know, but it is the climax of you know it's called ends. Well, here's the thing: she's a 63 year old woman, whatever she is. He is in the story a 65 year old man, right? Um, with no firmly and completely canonically established supernatural powers, right? Okay, <laughs> it can only take so much damage. Yeah. So, I mean, you could have them just throwing each other into the cabinets for five or six more minutes, but they couldn't be, you know, he can't take her hand off and then she takes him out at the knee and then he, you know, cuts her juggler and then she pokes right. his eyes out. Right. They, they're they just not going to be able to carry on if you do, you know, that kind, that level of wounding in this, Maiming. You know, yeah. this kind of movie. Right. So, you know, I think it went as far as it could go, uh, believably. I think, I think it, 
I think you, even you who wanted more, if there was a 10 minute version or a 15 minute version of that, I think you'd say that got a little silly before it was all over or it got, you know, it ran, ran it into the ground or I think you would have a negative reaction to it. I think it ran probably about as long as it could. You know what? That's a good point. That's actually a very good point. Like what could you possibly do? And, I mean, and one thing they could do to extend it is like have a chase scene, but at the same time, like how many times have we fucking seen that? Like, I'm good. Well, we did get a little bit of the OG in reverse. How so? With the knitting needle instead oh, yeah. of yes. hitting him in the eye and he gets her in the fucking ear. Did he stick it yes. in her ear? It looked like it was in her ear. That was dumb. But it, I mean, it could have been on the side of her face. You can't really tell. Right. But um, it was cool that it was reversed. Which, again, I was like, oh, a fucking knitting. What is she knitting now, too? But then I watched it and she was knitting earlier. So I was like, oh. <laughs> I was Wait, like, all right. Like, I, see, that's the thing. I do have problems with it, but not as many as I thought. And right. I and I think that the things that I dislike, I just love this franchise so much that I, I can't hate any of them. Well, really. can I take you guys down a slightly strange road about what I think may happen in the future? Oh, please. please. Okay. So I'm going to back up. 70 or 80 years. Oh, man. Way back there, Universal made Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, building off of Ghost of Frankenstein. I don't know if you guys right. watched all the Universals, but... Absolutely. Um, yeah. The writers back then, and we talked about this last year, the writers back then would always say, fuck you to the next writers by trying to put the, kill the monsters off in such a way that the next guy who had to write the next one was screwed. Right. So, right. at the end of Ghost, um, they transplant a brain, and it's um, Igor, uh, yes. character, goes into yes. Cheney's head, yeah. and now he gets up and he starts talking in Lugosi's voice, and the world is fucked because now a guy <laughs> as mean and as smart as Igor has the body of the body. monster. Yep. Except yep. their blood types are mismatched, and he goes blind right, right then, two minutes after he gets up. Yeah. Which I thought was one of the most clever th- in a 1940s movie. That's one of the most clever things I've ever heard in my life. Even if it's not scientifically yeah. right, it's still really cool. Right, right, right. So, so he goes down. He burns up in the building. We cut forward, and um, ne- the next movie gets going. And uh, Bela Lugosi takes over playing the role, partially because he was supposed to. The brain, you know, has kind of made the face look more like Igor. I think was their thought and everything. Yeah. So you get. Bella goes, well, as kids, we watched it and we said, man, Bella's a sucky Frankenstein. Look at the way, he, look, he walks terribly and he waves his hands around all stupid and he's moving his mouth all the time. What in the heck? What a crappy Frankenstein. Well, decades later, we find out that Universal made the film. Frankenstein's talking like he was at the end of Ghost and he's blind at the beginning of the movie and he doesn't regain his sight until he gets jolted with electricity at the end of that movie right which wakes him up enough and he gets his sight back and then he fights the wolfman yes well when you watch that film now you go oh wait a minute well that's why he's number 1 you know walking the way he's walking he's blind he's right. moving his mouth cuz he's talking but they just took his lines out they just took the dialogue away yeah and and so you look back on that film or at least i do you look back on it differently than you did when you first watched it. That's right. what I think could happen here. The film should be what it is. What you saw in the theater and what you're seeing on Peacock right now should be the film as it is. 
But I think when that novelization comes out, if you guys chose to read it, and when that extended cut comes out, or if you watch the deleted scenes, which will definitely be out there some in some fashion, yeah, I think this film will have it. Uh, I think it will have a different impact then. But I also think you're going to get the Scream Three thing here. I think seven or eight years from now, you both might feel very differently about this film. Hmm. I don't know that that's true, but you you hated Three when you saw it in 2000, and and some years later you you were coming around on it. That could happen here too, and especially if you were to allow in the extras that could come from a novelization and an extended cut. Again, right. it's only fair to say that whatever they release to the theaters is what you judge it on. But if you can bring that other material in, then it could you know, change your reaction. I, I'm hoping that it, it does explain some of the discrepancies and things that you had problems with. I don't know that it will, but um, in the end, this it worked for me enough that it didn't, it didn't bury the franchise, even though it's ending the franchise, but that doesn't mean anything. No. And I think the controversy could help it have viability to go forward if somebody can figure out how to do it um, when they're ready to make some more money from it. Uh, and I will always, you know, um, except when Rob Zombie makes them, I will always <laughs> be there day one to see it in the end. So I have to call this a success just for the fact that it's keeping the franchise going even as it ends. So. Right. Well, I mean, I have to right. I have to say like I don't hate this movie. Yeah. Like um I think it was mostly like shell shock. Shocked. I was shocked. Um what? I, there was a lot of things like I appreciated on my second watch. I'm not going to lie. Um I am basically like should we rate this? Are are you guys ready to rate it? Is there sure. anything else you want to talk about, Craig? No, I'm good. Let's go, let's go for it. Yep. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think I come in at fifty fifty. Like I like I'm almost at a three. Mm-hmm. Um. Just because there are like that that the like the emotional capacity of like the town finally getting relief of um like that moment was big for me. I don't know why. Like it wasn't on the first watch, but watching it on this one, it was. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I felt a little emotional. This is not how we do things. It is tonight. Ah, I was waiting for that. He, yeah. Yo, he, that guy had no purpose for being in any of these movies. But he was, yeah. The completely yeah. ineffectual sheriff? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was yeah. great. I loved I mean, it, though. The blood had run thin after Brackett was voted out. Right, um, right. <laughs> I gotta say, yeah, that, that guy is the most ineffectual character in horror film history. <laughs> Oh, it's it's my favorite shot of kills when he's sitting there just looking all sad on the staircase. <laughs> yeah, it's just my favorite shot ever. It just encompasses that movie so much. It does. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, Dan, what do you got? Oh, oh actually, man. you haven't given it stars yet. Yeah, sorry, I was, I was, yeah. I, was I was getting there. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard because like if you asked me three nights ago. I would have said one out of five. Yeah. And uh, at that point, I only liked the opening. On a second watch, there was a lot that I actually did enjoy. Um, But there's a lot that, like the story, like it's, like you heard me talk about my issues. So I feel like it's only fair for me to come in at 50-50 at this point in time uh, at a 2.5 out of five. I feel like that's half. Like, I, I feel like, for was this the 14th or 13th sequel like yeah 13th sequel the 14th film 
Oh, okay, wow. So, I mean, for that, I, I think that's a pretty even score. Yeah. And but I, I just wanted a more epic, like, even though, like I said, it did give me chills, I needed some more Lori Michael definitive, like, you're just a man. Like, I get it. But at the same time, like, throw up against the wall a little more. That's well, all. Well. <laughs> yeah. So two out, 2.5 out of five. All right, so this this one for me, there's a lot of stuff that I like, a lot of stuff that I don't like. I actually, I think if they just changed a couple of aspects of the story, and like Craig said, like I'm sure it's there's a version out there somewhere that is more, um, you know, acceptable in my eyes. I just feel like there were so many off things in it that just kind of, eh, whatever. But it did have Halloween ambiance. That opening was fucking great. I did like when he was killing the bullies, that whole scene, and so even though there were some off-screen kills and stuff like that. Obviously, they swung for the fences. I don't think they hit a home run with it, but you got to respect it. You really do. They they tried to do something different. Um, I, I don't care what movie I'm watching. If you throw a fucking radio DJ in there, <laughs> then I'm game. And they kick this movie off with the radio DJ, like starting it already. It's like, tongue. yeah, I just, I, I dug certain aspects of it, but some of the, a lot of the story stuff just did not work for me and how they kind of kept it vague so in terms of, wet. well, yeah, well, that's all <laughs> that's all. See, that's probably my biggest problem is I never bought the fact that she fell for this guy so quickly. Yeah, no. That's just not in my experience. That's not how life works. Right. So for me, it was like, it was like somebody that's never gotten laid. And it was like their fan fiction version of, of what would happen. Like I'm the bad boy. I got evil in me, but I'm not evil girl. Hop on this motorcycle. Like it was just very very strange to me, very odd in some aspects, but I still had fun. It's a Halloween movie. I rated a three out of five. Oh wow. Yep. It's, really at a, it's at a three. The stuff that I, I I liked, I really did like. But then I deduct the the whole and two you were points. Like the most vocal hater. Yeah. Yeah, I'm at a three. Three is not a great score, That's but a pretty good score. Yeah, no, I I dug a lot of it, but some of it was just uh, it was just a mess. So that's where I'm at. I stand proudly with my three. So finally, we are at the man of the hour, Craig Edwards. You know, I I think both of your ratings are very fair. You know, we're talking about. I think I did, and I I think you guys did. Uh, do you both rate the first? 1978 film is five. Uh, yep. 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 I love uh, it. And I also I love rate it. 81 a five as well. So, yep. Okay. Uh, 81 is a four for me, but, um, but still, you know, way up there and four and five are, I don't give those out for everything. So, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, a two and a half and a three are very fair because you've come down two full stars from the original film and, you know, you're at the 14th film. There's got to be some problems. You know, you, there's no way. There's <laughs> right. not, no human on this planet could make a five-star <laughs> film at this point. Yeah. So, right. And I if you do, more. yeah, if you do, I'll, I'll bow down to that filmmaker forever. If, if the right. a five-star <laughs> film. But, um, I, I would give, I give 18 three. I gave Kills two and a half. I think this is better than Kills, so I'm giving it three as well. 
Yes. Yeah. See, I um, like that. I, yeah. I don't think it's the a perfect film either. Um, you guys have brought up a lot of points that I'm going to be thinking about when I watch it again. Um, I'm also going to have to take the brunt of uh, all of the verbal abuse I'm going to take from my crew uh, on Friday when they watch it because I don't think it's going to go over well with them. I, no. I think a second viewing does do a lot. And I mean, like I said, I just came up uh, <laughs> one and a half points and that's a lot just on a second viewing. Yeah. Mine came up a whole point from one to two. It was a whole point. I was at a two. I found some merits in it. You it more than I did, so I don't know. Yeah, like, but baby, baby, you always, we, you always have problems with my ratings. It's because, like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe I don't make sense, but in this moment, I said three. That's what I'm sticking okay. to. Do you want me to change it now? No. I, I give don't. it a one. Well, I mean, based off of the way you talk about it. I, but like, yeah, but I, we, I find it hard to believe. Like you listen. Said no, no. Check this out, though. Check this, this out, though. Podcast. We've been talking about this, and this is a. I'm glad you made this point because I want to make sure that I'm making the difference known here. All okay. Right, my problem, and I said this in the beginning, and I've said this since day one. My problem is not with the film itself. Mm -hmm. My problem is everybody re, re, reactions to it, and they're so wild. And they're so ridiculous and they're not predicated upon facts or anything like that. It's just kind of, no, no, fuck you. This is what I'm doing. Like, okay, but why? Because fuck you. Because that's why it's that type of response. So I got very caught up in people taking sides on this without really giving any explanation, except you just didn't get it. Like stuff like that just irks me to no end. Like, let's talk about this then. So I never really had the biggest problems with this movie. I I think that upon second watch, it definitely went up for me, but those problems definitely still exist. It's just how much those problems literally affect my score. And and I and I think that it is less upon this one. Now, my irritation for the fans out there and their inability to cleverly or accurately articulate. articulate what they're trying to say. That's what I'm talking about. That's what's annoying. That's why I wanted to pinpoint and really get down to the, to the nuts and bolts and the grittiness of why we like it. So I come in firm at a three. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we want to thank uh, Craig Edwards for being a guest. Um, this was a very long episode, so thank you so much for your time. It was Again, a great episode, yes, Craig. Thank you, man. You. Oh, I appreciate uh, you know getting to chat with you guys. It's always a good time. So uh, do it again anytime you guys want to. Absolutely. Yes. Like we got to talk about something other than Halloween uh, <laughs> <laughs> or scream. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no, nah, we can always maybe we'll bring scream. him on for like disturbing behavior or teaching Mrs. Tingle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All the stories I could tell there. Yes, exactly. And you do have some stories. Craig, the other day I was, uh, Super Mario's got brought up and I was like, my buddy worked on that movie uh, and we, we went down this whole rabbit hole and I brought up your Facebook that I'm just going through and like, there's a picture with you with Anthony Hopkins. I'm like, I'm like what is even happening? I'm like, all right. And we're, everybody's just like, this is your friend? I'm like, yeah, it's my boy, Craig. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell that story because it's a quick one. 
Yes. I was hired. I got called. I worked. Well, I got to back up a little bit. I worked on the sequel to a Christmas story that nobody ever knew existed called uh, My Summer Story. Oh, and I know it exists. Mary Steenburgen and Charles Grodin took over the parts of the parents and two of the That's lesser Culkins played the kids. And um, I stood in the lighting stand in for an actor named Roy Brocksmith, who is the guy in Total Recall that tries to convince Schwarzenegger it's a dream. Doug, you're dreaming. And if you don't take this pill, you'll snap. Your mind will snap. That guy. And he sweats <laughs> and then Schwarzenegger shoots him. The great Roy Brocksmith. So I stood in for him on, on my summer story. A couple of years later, I get a phone call and it's Roy. And he says, I'm coming back to town uh, to work on a film called Road to Wellville. Will you be my personal assistant? I, I, oh. They're paying me enough that I can put you on and you can be my assistant. I said, absolutely. So I worked for... Roy. And um, so we're going for a costume fitting. I'm with him at, and we're walking across the studio lot here in Wilmington. And he goes, oh, here's um, <laughs> here's Sir Hopkins or Lord Hopkins or whatever he was. And Mrs. Hopkins, let's go chat. And so I'm assuming we're walking up and it's the just the four of us. And I'm assuming this is really going to be the three of them talking and me just quietly standing there. Right. And and 30 seconds into this conversation between the three of them, Hopkins looks over at me and goes, hi, Tony, and stuck, sticks a hand out. Wow. So, I, so he's Tony to me now. Um, <laughs> and they then, he and Lady Hopkins proceed to in, completely involve me in the conversation. Whatever it was, I was right in there. It was four people talking about whatever it was for 10 minutes. So I had this incredible experience and, and then continued working for Roy and then got that picture with Hopkins later in the run um, as we were shooting there at the studio. So that, so I lucked into that picture by far, but the, the fact that if I ran into Hopkins on the street somewhere, I could say, Hey, Tony, I was Roy hey. assistant <laughs> 27 years ago, but that, yeah, that was uh, that's a big one uh, meeting him. And he was just as pleasant, you know, through that conversation. And then to get the picture, he was just as pleasant as you would hope he would be. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, do you have um, any uh, projects that you're working on or anything that um, I, I know you're big into the um, Dawson's Creek group? Yeah, not a lot going on. I keep trying to get some kind of a podcasty like chat going over there and it never seems to work out very well. I always want it to be a conversation and everybody's too shy to want to come on and like actually talk with me. And I don't want to just sit and do me just blathering I, I just think people would not be interested in that would would turn it off I so, disagree like I find out whatever you say is fascinating oh well, I appreciate that I don't know what I would you know without anything prepared I don't know what I would do what how I would do that um but I have talked about trying to do some watch-alongs where, where you don't see it on screen or anything so we don't get in any kind of problems with copyrights but everybody's watching it and and I would be telling stories about production of the episode or whatever so I've tried to do something along those lines, haven't quite gelled into anything solid with it, but that's about the only thing that's kind of on the back burner that I'm thinking about doing. I am hosting the series of films. They are films that were made in North Carolina. They're screening at a theater here in town and the regular host has gotten ill, unfortunately. And so he has enlisted me and I'm doing the next, well, I've done the last two and I'm doing the next three through the end of the year. And then we'll see if that plays on into 2023 as well. Um, so that's a lot of fun, too. I get to talk with people that I've known, some cases for 30 years, about working on films and stuff. So that's been fun. That sounds amazing, man. Yeah. yeah. 
I think we definitely have to start our cut to the creek uh, <laughs> podcast that we've been talking about for a couple of years. Now. For fourteen years now. Yes. <laughs> well, hey, if, if you guys start doing that and you want to, you know, an occasional guest, by all means, uh, I would love to. I'm always happy to talk. So yeah, you should like take um like uh go through all of the episodes and list which ones you would want a guest on, and then we can just like kind of prepare from there if that's something that you're interested in. Oh, I I can tell you right now uh, the first the first one for sure because of the way it was produced with the presentation pilot and everything I would definitely want to talk about that yeah um and then yeah I would have to look at some uh, the one I uh, the carnival double date I definitely want to talk about that obviously yeah um, I want to go watch that right well, now. well you would watch them and I mean we just we dissect them all right as we go yeah we could do that um detention you know. Detention we shot on location in a library, and the director was a graduate of the Corman School, Alan Arkush. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they've all got points about them that they're, they would be interesting to talk about and how we pulled off some of the stuff and how, you know, the 20 blocks when she watches Pacey and Buzz walk away in that episode when they come out of the village market and she's walking them walk away uh, at a creek across the street. And they're actually 20 blocks apart, you know, the movie magic involved and <laughs> how things like that occur. Right, uh, right. You have you know, a lot can, of information. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, tons and people showing up on screen, you know, the lunch lady is my boss because she knew how to get that food onto the trays without messing up the camera shot. So she always played the lunch lady every time they're in the cafeteria getting food. That's my boss doing that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, things like that. we'll definitely have to talk about uh, getting this off the ground uh maybe in 2023 i can listen like to a talk about peanut m&ms like yeah. i can listen to craig talk about anything right he's awesome <laughs> well thank you so much yeah, um man. this has been a blast and if they make another one you know you're our first guest lined up for yep. that movie yep i love it that that alone makes me want another halloween movie just so i get to talk to you guys again <laughs> We have to talk about something other than Halloween because you're just so informative, period. Um, but thank you so much for coming on again. I know we 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 took up your Saturday night here, but we appreciate you so much. 100%. Oh, you guys are very welcome, and thank you again, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, for everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm Lacey Lou. And I'm Dan Chase. You don't want to be D'Angela? I don't want to be D'Angela ever. Okay, well, no. D'Angela's, this episode's coming up, with, but there is D'Angela's on its way. <laughs> you don't want to hear about that. It's going to be epic. Uh, everybody, uh, we will see you on the next Thrillers and Chills. Bye. Whoa.